Berserker. Berserker. Oh, well, tell me about it. Uh, so, so I, I, I want you to just take a guess on who the main character in Keanu Reeves' comic book that he wrote probably is. <sighs> well, it'd probably be Keanu Reeves. It's fucking Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker wrote a comic book with himself as the main character. <laughs> I... I hold on. No, that can't be. He did. <laughs> and, it's, and it might be his next film role. Right. What? Oh, I know Boom Studios. The story was will focus on Berserker, a half human son god of, god of war, whose lip rover. 80,000 years. So he turned... He's writing himself to be a god. He's writing himself to be a fucking god. It's like it's like if Morgan Freeman was like, I've decided that I'm god now. I'm going to make <laughs> idols of myself. <laughs> I know. I just love this, like, fucking... I don't know if it's narcissism or just really real self-awareness of the market. It might be both. I He's think like, it's both. Well, me being in Cyberpunk 207070 was enough to let to sell it, right? So like he was so just like genuinely like it seemed like he was just happy with the reaction that he got to like Cyberpunk <laughs> that like like now that he has this reaction from like the general community and he's just like this sort of idol of of so many people's eyes it's just like all right i'm gonna become my fans love me i'll give them more <laughs> i'll give them more of what they want they see me as a god i'll give them a god <laughs> wow you know i actually saw john wick for the first time oh really what did you think of it i really liked it i thought the gun choreography was really fucking cool uh yeah I really like that they're ballsy enough not to cut away every single fucking take and they'll actually just like give a full ass shot of a really cool fight. Uh Yeah, they it was a really like the the way they do the fight choreography in that is so reminiscent of like old karate movies. Yeah. It well I mean it literally is like gun fu. It's it's yeah. awesome. Like uh just I, I think about some of the like the fucking executions and like how cool they are, like the one where it's like there's a wall in between the two dudes and like he shoots him once in the foot and then again in the head like right <laughs> <laughs> i don't know uh it definitely actually made me want to play like the pistols more in call of duty 
So like, oh, I'm it's a jump. shame the snake shot's not broken as hell anymore. Yeah, I heard the snake shot was real good with the revolver. Was it? Oof, yeah, it yeah. was real bad. Uh, I'm I'm picking it up now, but it takes so many shots to kill people with it. It's like, yeah, wow. they nerfed it into oblivion. Uh, well, how's the how's the uh, Japanese course going? Going good. It's actually a teaching English course. The teaching English course, yes. Yeah, so I haven't been learning any Japanese at all. Uh, it's okay. actually a British course. It's interesting. I'm taking it online. Uh, and so, like, everything is sort of... <laughs> well, it's very British. Like, all... <laughs> it, they, like, they'll they'll ask me, like, a, a quiz question, and then it'll be like, The UK is full of eccentrics, bog snorkelers, woolly wagglers, and, uh, <laughs> and, and pin jammers. <laughs> and, and you have to just, like, look at that and be like, okay, so I'm teaching English? Is this English? I don't. So you're, you're taking a teaching English course to teach British English in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, the one That's that so I, the, the one that I took was, like, a video observation course. Now I'm going into the U.S. grammar course, which I guess more covers, like, the specific aspects of, like, U.S. grammar. Uh, yeah. but, but the observation course was just so fucking British because everyone in it was <laughs> like all the demonstrators were British and they were teaching British. Uh, That's like, like so good. they had this, this bad demonstrator that was so funny. He, he was, he didn't like have any like visual representations at all for the lessons. And he was just like, oh yeah, yeah, man. Uh, so uh, today we're going to be going over, um, uh, hello, goodbye. You, says you. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, uh, uh, going into the lesson. So says you as in like, um, uh, so I have like a brother, right. And, uh, and I have the brother and, and I say, uh, you, you says what about that? And, and, then, and then he says, uh, and then I said, what? And then he says, you said what? And then I said, and then he just like rambles on and on like that. <laughs> and it's like the most incomprehensible garbage. And it's just like, I mean, if he's being paid to be bad, he's very good at his job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's a that's a primo British accent, though, that you've developed from all this. Oh, I, I don't know. I've also had a bit of a British accent that I've developed from... Uh, I, I've watched the Yogscast for a very long, long time. Gotcha. Uh, I, I actually used to listen to their, their podcast before they did that. Uh, and they stopped doing that. That, but they like that was one okay. of my favorite things that they did for a long time. It was just called the Yog Pod, and they would just talk. <laughs> they would just talk about things and like British things and toast and things like that. It didn't really matter, you know. That's so <laughs> fucking know. good. Just like a slice of life podcast. Yeah, it's really wow. nice. I really, I really like those podcasts that are like that. That are just like a little slice from somebody's life, and then they stopped doing it, and then they did a bunch of other things with Minecraft. Fair. Yeah. Gotta go where the money is. Oh yeah, and dude, Minecraft is such a fucking money well, dude. Mm-hmm. Minecraft and Fortnite, literally games that have defined generations, though. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is that it almost feels like one influenced the other fairly. Like, I mean, oh, without a doubt. Yeah, and, and, and like, it's one of them is really like kind of like its own creation. And then the other one is just like an amalgamation of so many different pop culture things, like dance, dancing and music, and like uh, the the whole like battle royale genre. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty neat. I have my notes up finally. I, I was oh, just stalling yeah. up until now, basically. That's that. I mean, so was I. I'm I'm woefully unprepared for this. 
Hey, well, you know what? Uh, I feel woefully unprepared for every day of my waking existence in this COVID nightmare, so I guess we can just go ahead and get started with that, huh? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, things have been so genuinely crazy with coronavirus, man. And, like, I know so many people Ugh. that are just, like, back to business as usual still, and, like... It's insane. It, like, there is still literally a pandemic, like, yeah. ravaging our streets, and we're just, like gotta gotta go to walmart i you, you gotta get your your beer at your bars and all that well i mean like i, I don't blame them I, I i gotta say like i don't blame businesses for staying open like i mean yeah they're not given any other support so. yeah if they were given support then they would have reason to be able to close but exactly but no? that's like the whole fucking response was just like fuck over everyone so they have to open back up <laughs> yeah dude and just like in general i've just been so depressed lately because it's like i haven't been able to do jack shit sitting alone at home and it's like the best thing that i could do right now for everyone in the rest of the world is to sit here and do nothing and exactly that... and i still feel like morally <sighs> shitty doing things yeah i i feel shitty just doing things to like satiate my just need to, to fulfill an, an objective like a goal like it just or just just doing things to like make my, myself sane, and it's just I I feel like like ah man like I'm watching videos of like like people getting abducted in like minivans and like taken away like without any kind of like due process or identification of like who they are like that's that happened yeah. in Portland recently and like yeah I just fucking saw that just like that that kind of shit and then like I'm sitting here making a podcast about video games and it's like man what the <laughs> fuck I mean, it's fucking insane like I don't I don't know. The world is a weird and wild place, and there's, like, it feels pointless, you know? Like, what the fuck are we going to do about it? It really does, man. Like, I... All we can do is hopefully make someone smile? That's that's the goal. That's the goal, honestly, is, like, make people smile, spread some theory that might help people to understand what's going on a little bit better, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, also what happened recently? Uh, one of our huh. viewers reached out to me and said that uh, they were going to potentially watch the show, uh, after like uh, one of our giver giveaways, and they said that they were really excited to listening to podcasts because it was a way that they were learning to practice English as like a non-native speaker. I uh, love that so much. Yeah, and so just the thought of people listening to us sort of learn and practice English uh, as a potential English teacher in the future really makes me very excited. So uh, I love that. Yeah, that's I never thought of podcasts as just like a way to absorb the sort of language of of other people. Mm -hmm. I should download some Spanish podcasts. <laughs> yeah, uh, get on some Japanese podcasts. But anyway, <laughs> shout out to the other creators out there. Yeah, there are a couple, I think. <laughs> <laughs> One or two of them floating around. I don't know. I mean, I don't look at them. It's just us yeah. out here, at exactly. least as far as Mostly I'm concerned. Like... Mm-hmm. So the music has been here. We have we introduced ourselves. Uh, we haven't, and I've been deliberately waiting for as long as possible to make your editing a nightmare to remind you that we haven't synced our audio yet. Oh well, let's do that real quick. <laughs> All right. So my name is David Baxter. My name is Bonnie Jartlett. And we are the Bundle Dujoisie. Ooh, I like it. We've evolved. The, the, the doers. This is uh, our second evolution. We had to hold a moonstone. 
It's true. We held it to the sky, and uh, it was during the, the, the eclipse. Uh, I did look at it directly, and my eyes are burnt, but I think we will be fine uh, moving forward with the podcast because you only need partial vision to be able to play video games. Exactly. Uh, the accessibility is getting really through the roofs lately. I fucking love it. Like, the, the, the oh. color blindness options and stuff that's been included and everything is fucking primo. Okay, uh... I haven't played The Last of Us 2 yet, but some of the accessibility options that I've seen from game development Twitter on that game are insane. It's insane. I've you never can seen literally like program anything. like set up the game to play its entire fucking self for you basically. Yeah, and like just some of like the crazy modes that they have, like this this mode where it was like it removed like all of the the color from the game and then like it highlighted the enemies so that like visually impaired people can like more easily be able to parse like what things are in the landscape. And it's just like yeah. that level of like dedication to accessibility in video games is something that I, I hope becomes an industry standard because that is just the coolest thing. I hope that they didn't have to go through too much crunch for it, but like, God, that's so cool. <laughs> but like, at least they included it. Yeah, I, I love and it it kind of sucks, though, that sort of idea of like it does make it less accessible for smaller developers to like be able to dedicate those resources. But it, it also like it's needed in the world. Like we got to make things accessible. <clears throat> Some spaghetti burp. All right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, spaghetti coming to say hello. Uh, okay, so uh, let's go ahead and introduce the bundle, huh? Yeah, let's do it. We're speed running this one today, guys. For July. And gals. So uh, to start off, we have Battlestar Galactica Deadlock. Uh, we have next, Planetfall Age of Wonders. Railway Empires after that. Uh, Bossing Stoke. Beat Hazard 2. Metal Unit. Don't escape. Four days to survive. Void. Bastards. Yuppie psycho. Earthlock. Verlet swing. Sigma theory. Uh, awesome. Great. A spaghetti's gonna be coming to say hello all episode. It really is. I hate that I have uh, not gotten more water prepared for myself. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I can feel the carbs just like coming back already. Oh, those carbs always want to fight. They never go down easy. I was thinking, like, I'm going to be doing something really active tonight. I'm going to be doing a podcast. I better eat, like, a full bowl of spaghetti. You know, like, I'm going to be sweating. It's going to be it's going to be a big deal. Exactly. Got okay. to get those spaghetti sweats. Got to get those carb sweats. Uh, All right, let's dive into it. Yeah, let's dive straight into Battlestar Galactica Deadlock. This is a game developed by Black Lab Games. They are also known for their Starhammer series of games. Uh, which I think play in a, a similar sort of way as this. Uh, they are the same publisher as uh, Warhammer 40k Gladius, uh, and I think that's uh, notable just because uh, they seem to be a publisher that take a lot of uh, developers that are struggling somewhat, and then they give them a license to a popular IP, and then they kind of apply a game that they've made in the past and then allow them to create that in this IP. Um so this type of game is a large-scale, turn-based, uh, 3D space fleet battle simulator. Uh, the way that it's turn-based is very similar to games like Frozen Synapse, where how you do it is you sort of are in pause time, and then you get to give orders to every single individual unit, or units as a group. You can select them as a group. And uh, then you wait for a couple of seconds, watch those orders play out as the enemy watches their orders play out, and then you just take turns doing that. Uh, I preferred it just a little bit, I'll say, right off the bat. 
uh, in Frozen Synapse because uh, in that game it's sort of a little bit more relatable to me. It's it's like a, a squad tactics game where it's like individual soldiers going in and trying to like save somebody in like a hostage situation or something like that. In this game, it's like 3D ship combat. And, like, I am not well-versed in that. I'm not initiated in, like, the sort of space combat whole genre. And, like, I'm not, uh, I don't think the target audience of this game whatsoever. Neither of us have seen the show, which I think is a big sticking point. Because uh, it seems like, from what I can tell, a lot of things about this game are very much in service to the show. Um... Like, uh, there are a couple of modes here. Uh, I'll get into all of them individually. Campaign, multiplayer, uh, skirmish, operation, and a basis, which is like, uh, this mode where you keep jumping to light speed and trying to survive while being chased and accomplishing objectives. It's kind of like a roguelike. Um, but the video browser is the one that I wanted to bring up because this is what really, uh, I think brings it back to the show really a lot. In that it, I guess Battlestar Galactica is famous for like a lot of like quick zoom ins and like, epic cinematic shots of of things getting destroyed and the the video mode is there so that you can actually watch a replay of all of your previous battles but done in real time as opposed to pause time where you have to pause every couple of seconds and it's really cool to see like individual close-ups of like different ships going in for the kill or uh you know different very you know cinematic moments like as one ship explodes you know another one flies through the wreckage and then goes for a kill or something. It's cool. It, it, it's like, uh, I think kind of like probably porn for people who watch the show. For me, it was, <laughs> it was like kind of like, oh, cool ships. All right. Cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it was, it was cinematic and it was cool, but like, I, I, I enjoyed like, you know, the ship battles in Star Wars because I felt like I was really in it, you know, like, like in Star Wars Battlefront, I should say. Uh, because I felt like I was able actually able to like you know fly around in the different uh, spaceships and sort of participate in the battle. And this I felt so removed from it that I I didn't really feel like I was connected to what was happening. And it doesn't help that uh at least to start the game out, uh they throw you a tutorial before you start like the the main campaign. Uh, and then once you start the campaign, it's like by the way, there's another tutorial and uh, it's the first four missions. And if you skip them, you miss out on story content. And I was really bummed by that. And I already did the tutorial. It was, took me a while and I didn't want to do it again. So I just skipped it. And I felt like really lost in the main campaign. It seems really cool. Like there's like this political aspect where there's a bunch of different planets that you have to sort of uh, make sure that their morale stays high uh, in the middle of, I think it's called like the Cylon invasion where it's like the first Cylon war. And the whole game is canon. I should mention that. Like if you're a fan of the show, all of the story is canonized within the world. I think it takes place before the main series is like a prequel. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah. So that actually is really neat. Um, and, and again, the political aspect of having to manage uh, sort of the whole galaxy's response to this uh, growing threat. But like ships just don't excite me as a concept. Ship battles and space battles and stuff like that. So I feel like this game wasn't uh, really quite up my alley. And for that reason... If you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica, you'll probably enjoy that game. It may sound cheap of me to say that, uh, but it's just because uh, I, as an uninitiated person, felt fairly lost uh, playing this game. I mean, it's got cool cinematics and the music's cool, and it's got really good reviews. So 
uh, it seems to faithfully recreate the aesthetic of the show. And so if you're into it, you'll probably like it. So it didn't do a lot, though, to bring you into the universe if you didn't understand it, though, already? Personally, no. Uh, I don't know if it's just because it's hard to get into this sort of universe if you don't already have, like, a sort of predisposition towards really enjoying, like, spacecrafts and, like, the sort of man-made revelry of, like, sort of going out into space and conquering shit and, like, I don't know. For me, I was always more into, like, the sea and shit. That's fair enough. Uh, I like fishes. Speaking of fish, (laughs) uh, this is... I <laughs> I don't know I, if if this I, I've mentioned this before or what but I was feeling like a little depressed and uh, my mom was like uh, okay so uh, in that case I'm gonna go get you something and then she got me a gift and I was like what is it mom uh, and then she shows me it's a little it's a little fish and its name is Watson and uh, I'm taking care of it now and they're my quarantine buddy. <laughs> I love that so much. That is so wholesome. It It is such a great way to, like, survive everything going on right now with a little friend. Yeah, you need a little friend every once in a while. Anyway, that was... We all need a little friend. That was Battlestar Galactica. Um, I don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> what do you have to say? <laughs> what do you have to say about your game? I don't have game? to say about Battlestar Galactica, but I, what I do have to say is the next game is Planetfall Age of Wonders. That's a game that you liked, and, and it's a game with ship combat and things like that. It's, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of ship combat. There was a lot of mech combat oh. and some dinosaurs with lasers. Uh, this is a game by Triumph Studio, who also did Age of Wonders, not Planetfall Age of Wonders, just the regular Age of Wonders. Uh, and it's a 4X game, which we, we covered before. It's, David, what are the 4Xs? Uh, explore, exterminate, uh, uh, uh. So, explore, expand, Exploit. Editor, put the put the the rest in here right now, and then eliminate the part where <laughs> uh, I forget. Expand and something else. Expand um, dong. That's what it was. <laughs> uh, this is, and it's got. So this game does a really interesting thing with. It's got turn-based tactical combat as well. So you, the like Civ and stuff, the combat kind of just plays out by itself. But this one, every time you engage. There's an option to do auto combat, which will just, like, resolve who wins the combat based on who has the higher power score and percentages and stuff. Or you can manually go in and do the combat in a sort of XCOM-style turn-based tactical combat, which I found really fun that it gave you that level of control over the battles that happened. Uh, And yeah, it, it... It talks a lot about, like, the very first thing it goes into is sort of like you... You play as the main character, Jack, who you go into cryo sleep for like 200 years. And when you get out of it, you're back in the world, but like everything has fallen to shit. Like all of the factions have split and they're like at war with each other. And it's it's this great look at sort of like what happens when the government that's supposed to be there for you fails you and just like never shows back up because they're in cryo sleep for 200 years. Um, so I, I, I thought that was such an interesting look at like kind of what's going on right now, as we talked about earlier with the government sort of failing us. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. But admittedly, I didn't get very far into the game. So I, I don't know how much of these themes continue to like pop up and how they're explored later on because the missions were wicked long. 
it was like a three hour long experience for the first mission and i i barely got through it it's it's damn it's, it's kind of yeah you have to be willing to save and come back to it or just have like a day dedicated to like get through a mission it sounds like civilization you, then yeah it's exactly like civ and and it's it's structured a little more open than civ 2 so it feels like it's very easy to get lost in what you're trying to do and i i had that issue a lot of just like oh, I guess this is the mission I'm working on, but no, I'm doing this side quest accidentally, but I should be progressing the main quest in this story, but uh, it it had a lot to... It left a lot to be desired in that sort of sense of, like, keeping your attention because of how long the missions were, because there was, like... There was no voiceover or anything either, so it's all just, like, reading pop-ups of text for the story and, like, what you're supposed to be doing and where you're at in the mission at any given time. Oh, uh, that sounds so, like a lot of reading. It was. It was like reading a book, but it's still enjoyable, and I, I want to go back to it, but I just don't really... I, I started playing this game at the start of this uh, bundle, and... and just like dragging through the depression while trying to like read just novels of text was it, it just it was a lot to get through um but i really i'm really interested in trying out like the multiplayer of it as well because i think as a whole game it does a lot it, it mixes the best of the best of like civ and xcom so i feel like it's doing both of those genres justice so i'd rather be playing this than playing like civ multiplayer or xcom multiplayer yeah, because that's really interesting. It, it sounds like it takes a lot of the the sort of placement uh, of civilization, but then also like the cover mechanics of XCOM and, and sort of meshes them into a beautiful little mold. Exactly. And the whole time you're like developing a base and doing research on new technologies and upgrading your individual troops with different mods and abilities. And there's like a whole talent point system for your troops so you can like level them up and make them better and more specialized in different areas. So it, it it really does feel like the best of the best of Civ and XCOM combined into one game. But it's it's overwhelming to start, and it's a drag, and there's a lot going on, and the tutorials don't really explain much, so you have to kind of, like, find out what the things you're developing are actually giving you and stuff. Damn. Maybe if we do, like, a 1v1 sometime, it might be able to just figure it out by, like, struggling against each other. Exactly, yeah, That's and that's exactly what I'm interested in exploring more about this game, is the multiplayer aspect, rather than, like, drudging through the story, because the gameplay is good. That's totally fair, yeah. Yeah, and that's, so it's it's very good despite its flaws and my, my struggle to get invested into it. I, I definitely think this game is worth checking out, and I, I think it does a lot for both the sort of 4X genre and the turn-based tactical genre. Do you think uh, by the end of these games you will have developed uh, just like a like a veritable empire of of troops and mechs? Oh, absolutely. Uh, very similar to how in the eighteen hundreds we developed a veritable empire of trains. Hey. <laughs> hey. So next up in the docket here is railway empire, folks. Uh, railway empire. If you don't mind me segueing straight to that was developed by Gaming Mind Studios. They are a German developer responsible for games such as Dark Star 1, Grand Ages Medieval, Rise of Venice, 
Patrician 4, and Port Royal 3. Interestingly, a lot of those are very historical titles, taking a very specific period in history and turning it into like a, like a system that you can kind of interact with, which I find to be very interesting. Uh, but this game, uh, published by Calypso Media, which is also the Tropico publisher, uh, is very fun and addictive. You build and manage trains. You start with only a couple, uh, and then you work your way up to having a entire empire of trains all running at the same time. It's a cool look at the way that rail infrastructure functions and the way that it is used to boom local economies, how railroads work in general with regards to, like, you know, sightings and uh, signals, how they kind of operate uh, on that sort of mechanical level. Uh, so setting up and placing tracks, paths, and all the different industries is really satisfying and tricky. Uh, I I found out, like, you know, this is probably why model train collecting is a big deal. Like, just playing all the different... Uh, planning all the different tracks and figuring out how they overlap and how uh, trains will interact with each other if there's multiple trains in the same track, that kind of thing. Uh, it's all very fun and interesting. There is also a Switch version available for purchase, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I haven't tried out like the controls of the controller, which I don't know how that you know feels, but with the PC it certainly seems to be... Uh, just fine and plenty of fun. I will mention, though, that there are a lot of DLC for this game, and it can get quite pricey uh, if you go for, like, every single DLC. But I don't really think that you need to, because all they really do, for the most part, is give you, like, scenarios and a couple of extra, like, items maybe that you can place down. And the game has a lot of content uh, already just in the base game. It covers uh, a large swath of the American uh, railroad infrastructure and the sort of building of the railway uh it covers like the transcontinental railroad uh that ran from like on the east side like in norfolk all the way over to like california uh and it's cool to see like how that sort of came to be and, and the sort of mechanics of uh how you would have to lay down the rails and and the pricing of it like you have to be careful about like trying not to build too high up or like digging too deep into the ground so you have to like pay extra costs for that but um in that sense uh i'm talking about it very much in like a financial aspect we're not really talking about it like from like a human being humanistic perspective <laughs> i feel like it's actually quite divorced from that there was a quote in the game that really made me feel that hard uh there's like the guy who is like teaching you how to build railways and stuff he he says doesn't matter what my competitors say about me. With all the capital we're earning, we're creating loads of jobs, jobs, jobs. <laughs> and it was just sort of like... It's like a conservative talking point that I hear, like, today. But it was like a railroad tycoon from the 1800s being like, I love my railroads. And But, like, the game is saying it with, like, 100% sincerity. Like, yep, yeah, this is how the railroads were built, and this is the right way, uh, and this is the correct way. Uh, even though the game actually like later on has you buying out your competitors stock and actually taking over their companies with like hostile takeovers and that's framed to be like the correct decision to creating your empire <laughs> which it is <laughs> uh but also that's the reason why trust busters were uh, invented by fdr the trust buster president theodore roosevelt would change the office of the presidency forever creating a model by which all future presidents would be judged the Justice Department filed a lawsuit against J.P. Morgan's Northern Securities Company in 1902 for creating a monopoly over railroads in the American Northwest. 
So yeah, the game primarily focuses on the USA, but the DLC uh, also has historic global train lines in Mexico, Canada, South America, the UK, Germany, France, Northern Europe, and Australia. And it's interesting to see like the sort of history of that. Uh, although it's not like a perfect geography replication, uh, it, it looks very gamified. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that this is mm-hmm. you know very realistic in terms of the geography of everything, but uh, in in terms of like how things are run and the sort of systems and learning about the different types of engines that were created and when they were invented. And it's cool to get like newspaper clippings of like new world land speed record has been broken. A total of 42 miles per hour set on the railway by the engineer of the Baxafeller company, which by the way, I named my company Baxafeller like Rockefeller. That's Uh, so good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd say that this game uh, is pretty cool. Uh, Workshop does exist for it. I I wouldn't say that it's super heavily supported. I didn't find too many different maps. There was like one that was uh, the entire America instead of like divided into sort of tiny parts like the game has. It's sort of like the entire thing. So you can try to do all of it at once. Um, And that was interesting. I I say that it's worth it for uh, strategy simulation fans uh, that are more interested in games about building and expanding. Uh, I caution that I did enjoy it more than I was expected, expecting, but, uh, I think I would prefer Train Valley 2 over just, like, casual play, because, um, I, I just like the aspect of it feeling more like a contained puzzle in that game, whereas this game feels like it has more of a simulation aspect, where you have to worry more about distance and time travel speed and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, and, a lot more of the different things about like uh getting supplies to areas uh consistently rather than just to fulfill a sort of arbitrary puzzle requirement uh so for that reason I'll probably be playing Train Valley 2 more than this but I still might come back to it I could imagine being like 80 and playing this game and fucking digging it yeah not even it, 80 it sounds just, like a riot <laughs> you can just imagine having a midlife crisis around like you know 30 just playing nothing but this I game. I need to build some trains. I need to build trains. My life is a mess. It's the only thing that gives me purpose. <laughs> uh, speaking of purpose in a in a in a rot, distraught world. Uh, you know, the only purpose that exists is killing zombies. Really? Or in the sake of bossing Stoke quietly running away from them because you don't have enough resources to kill them all and they'll all murder you in one shot. I was going to say, you're not going to be able to get all the zombies. There's too many. Oh, definitely not. There's millions of people on the world and the odds of you being the only survivor, you know? Yeah. So, Bossing Stoke is a game from Puppy Games. Uh, They also did Ultratron and Fairy Solitaire. Uh, Mm. They're they're kind of cute little puzzle-looking games. And this game is a top-down twin-stick shooter, uh, which is like, if you're not familiar, it's the genre where one one stick on your controller is used for movement and one is for sort of like aiming your character around in a circle. Uh, And it's also a kind of roguelite, which is really interesting. The game starts out as it starts out so charmingly stupid you just like you walk into this company and you're getting ready for a job audition and as you're as you're walking through you get to these like levels down at the bottom for like research and development 
And then all of a sudden, like, you walk into a bathroom and everything shuts down and the earth shakes and trembles. And all of a sudden you come out and there's zombies everywhere. Uh, so <laughs> they don't really explain what happens in this sort of, like, corporate dystopian hell that, like, they like, screwed up something in research and now there's zombies everywhere. It doesn't matter. Your life is in danger. Run. <laughs> exactly. And that's what you do. You just, like, you book it out as quick as possible and into the city. And... That, that's like that's all there is to the story of it uh there might be more i didn't get through the whole game uh it's it's surprisingly difficult but also very easy at the same time in what um, way uh in the way that like it's easy but unforgiving so like one oh. little mess up and you just die there's no like there's no i can skill my way out of this and survive it's oops i accidentally kited all the zombies into a small little path and now there's no way out is it the kind of um, game that you can kind of, like, it, it's easy enough at a certain point that you can kind of zone out, and then, like, it gets hard again, and then you don't realize that you're already dead? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. exactly that. Like, the core mechanics in it, they're they're super easy. It's just don't get hit, you know? The zombies are, for the most part, all slower than you. There's some special ones that move quicker and whatnot, but it's just, you know, walk away and avoid them. But they have, like, all kinds of little, like, the maps are sort of randomly generated, and so, like, little traps get set up that, like, you might go in an alleyway and find out that that alleyway didn't actually have an exit. And then you have to turn around and go through all the zombies. Uh, so it's 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 very unforgiving in that sense. And it is. It's one hit from anything kills you. Oh, really? And it's a single hit yeah, at all? A single hit at all. Okay, I guess the and game so... kind of has to be a little bit easy then. But that's, like... <sighs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, so that's what... That's super unforgiving. and that's. But it, it never feels like the game is difficult. It just feels like, ah, I wasn't paying enough attention. Shoot. <laughs> oh, darn. Looks like I'll have to try <laughs> oh. again. Oh, guess I gotta start over from... And the checkpoints are really well balanced, you know? You just, like, each little zone, you're trying to get to another zone. So it's like, go from the police station to the inn. And if you die, you just have to repeat going from the police station to the inn. It's not like you go all the way back to the start. Hmm. Uh... And it, it, it's got this, like, fun use of environment and other tools and stuff, because there's, like, there's areas where these little tentacle zombies will pop out of the ground, and you can use those to eat the regular zombies. Uh, or there's, like, electric, like, an electric uh, spark leak. Uh, I don't know what you'd describe that as. Uh, a broken current, and electricity is everywhere. Right, And you can, right. like, kite the zombies into the electricity and get them to die that way. And so there's a lot of, like, environmental tools you can use in sort of like this way to lessen the risk of dying and it's got it's got this excellent sort of like crafting system where you can like you can find poison and then poison the food and throw the food down and the zombies will eat the food and then get poisoned and you can use like scraps to build metal pipes and stuff and so it's it's really interesting and it's got a lot of like unique takes on the roguelike elements how is this game sort of random and how does it make each playthrough feel different it's absolutely random there's like there's loot that you find everywhere so like all the little bodies that you can find around have different like loot on them so you might get like coins from them versus crafting materials versus uh there were some spawns where i'd get like a weapon right off the bat and have like a pool kill that i could use to kill like six zombies <laughs> uh, versus other ones where I just find like food or darts or something, so it's 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 very well randomly generated, and every playthrough kind of feels unique because you don't know what you're gonna find in the environment. 
Uh, and there's there's some really cool elements. One of the things I, I really thought was interesting is they have uh, an insurance policy that you can buy. And at any point you at any point you can use the insurance policy and it saves the game where you were at when you used it. Hmm. And so then if you die, instead of returning you back to the start of that chapter, it returns you to where you saved the game with the insurance policy for a one time like respawn. Interesting. So yeah. but there is like a like a, a set end to the game. Do you think that you're gonna get to the end of the game at any point? Um, I don't know if it drew me in enough to like go back and play it to the end uh it 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 draws you in but it sort of lacks um a a force to keep you driving in the game you know like the elements and and everything that you can do in the game is really fun and unique but once you get past that sort of uniqueness, it, it feels more like you're just playing a sort of like motion based puzzle game that you're trying to solve. Hmm. Uh, and and I, I I wanted a little more action to it. And without that sort of action, I don't think it's going to pull me back in. OK, that's fair. So so maybe not enough moment to moment excitement to, to keep you wanting to come back. Exactly. And it's it's much less about excitement and more about just like pure survival and kind of stealth. Okay, okay. And and that that might explain like maybe this would be more of an experience for someone who prefers a slower sort of more methodical roguelike. Absolutely. Yeah, if you like if you like a game where it's very a lot slower then this is this is the roguelike to play for that, I think. I I think it does a lot in that sense of like there's there's even a button to creep that won't alert anything near you, so you could sneak past everything, I'm sure, if you wanted to play that way. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Actually, could we give a quick pause? I just need water real bad absolutely go and get like it, i'm out so let me go grab that we'll figure out a segue for the next thing i'll come up with something while you're gone yeah welcome back all right did you think of a good segue um all right all right bear with me here um so the game had a lot of hazards that you have to beat but it was still really fun. I'll take that share. Okay, so the next game here <laughs> is uh, Beat Hazard 2. <laughs> uh, it is developed and published by Cold Beam Games. God, that was a really good segue. I gotta <laughs> hand it to you, man. That's the best you've ever given me, I think. Known for the uh, Beat Hazard and Martial Arts Brutality games. Uh, by the way, Martial Arts Brutality, a free-to-play card game available right now by the Cold Beam Games developers. But this, the game that I'm going over right now, is a music-powered bullet hell. Uh, it has the same technology as an audio visualizer. Uh, and actually, there's even like a bonus to your score if you set the visual intensity of the game to be higher. Uh, and there's even like a, a, a non-gameplay vi audio visualizer component as well if you just want that for some reason. Um, it's very similar to games like Audio Surf, just a different genre. And if you've ever played Audio Surf, that game is sort of like about writing music where you have to collect things along the, the wave as you're sort of descending to get a high score. This game instead is more about surviving music that is both made by and also... Uh, shooting 
stuff that's powered by the music. So uh, enemy speed, uh, spawns, attack patterns, as well as your ship guns, uh, their sort of power and attack speed are all related to things like the tempo of the music, vocals, uh, drops, things that the audio sensor can hear and then interpret into the game. Okay. Uh, so you can listen to literally any track, and the game will create a bullet hell from it. It doesn't matter if it's in the game's system, it just uses an algorithm so to good. create something from it. Uh, and I actually had an argument at one point uh, with one of my sound professor teachers uh, back at UCCS on whether or not games like AudioSurf and Electroplankton were video game art, or, or w whether they were, sorry, sound art, because uh, that <laughs> is like a specific genre of art that like only relates to sound, and like the idea is like if you put your own sound to it, but then it creates something from that, is that sound art? Because a lot of sound art is like visualizations of sound and stuff like that too, because that counts. Mm -hmm. So I feel I feel like that's what this is. It's like a hundred percent. Yeah, I would say that like that is largely more sound art than a lot of sound art could be considered sound art. <laughs> honest to God, but it's it's consumer sound art, and it's sound art that you can play, and that that like you can listen to an entire album that you've never listened to before, and then experience like a bullet hell while playing it. Yeah, uh, it creates like this sort of new level of visualization to something that you're already used to like hearing and, and listening to. Right, right. And, and so for that reason alone, I feel like this game has a ton of replay value. Uh, it has standard survival, boss rush, and zen modes, which standard is just kind of like your normal mode where you occasionally have bosses and just have to survive waves. Uh, usually it's just like one song. Survival uh, is you survive for as long as you can until you die. Uh, boss rush is you survive as long as you can until you die, but there, excuse me, the fucking spaghetti. Jesus. <laughs> 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 uh, oh no. The spaghetti. Spaghetti. The spaghetti has ruined your microphone. Spaghetti God ruined my microphone. Okay, so uh, am I back? Can you hear me? Yes, you're back. I got you. God, this scared me. What's it saying? Boss Rush. Boss Rush. It's like... <laughs> boss Rush is like survival, but there are bosses instead. And then Zen is... <laughs> That's literally all I was going to say. All that suspense. <laughs> uh, and then Zen mode uh, is uh, just like you, you chill and you can die as many times as you want, uh, but you just play for as long as you want. And, like, keep racking up the score multiplier. You can get really insane scores in Zen mode. Uh, the ships are also really interesting, and they change up how you play. Uh, they can be made yourself. You can go into a workshop and then literally make your own ships if you want. You can just insert PNGs or, like, uh, build it using, like, the tools that they have in their in-game engine. And there are people on the... Uh, uh, Steam Workshop that have made some stuff. I downloaded a couple. The one that I enjoyed the most was the Star Fox R-Wing. I felt like that <laughs> one is really well balanced and just fun to use. Uh, Cactar from Final Fantasy, on the other hand, is really shit. Just garbage. Isn't it usually... It's a bad gummy ship, too. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure that it would be. <laughs> because, like, um, it, it literally just, like, spits pine like needles just everywhere in every single direction you can't aim <laughs> it, it, so you just are like spinning around in a circle spraying everything and winning and it's just the most boring like <laughs> i don't like it i like at least being able to like target my 
my concentrate my aim, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also perk customization uh, for your ship, so you can like add different uh, abilities to be able to survive, like a, a giant laser beam or like little missiles or a giant bomb to clear everything, or an EMP to like stop everything in the area and give you a little shield. Or a reflector, which is really useful if you use it on any, like, enemy projectiles and they reflect back at, like, twice the damage. Uh, and then you could only have four at a time of those different abilities. You kind of have to choose between all of them. Uh, and then there's, like, lightning and daily challenges, which are different songs that are just picked out randomly, I assume, by, like, the game that are usually in cool pop songs, like uh, uh, Dying Lights by The Weeknd was, I think, one... And then another one was, uh, oh God, what was the other? Uh, 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 something by Fallout Boy it was pretty fun. Thanks for the memories. So pretty popular music. Oh, yeah. no, and there was a System of a Down song, BYOB, I think. That was really enjoyable, too. Gotta have BYOB. Yeah, so, uh. Blast off in party time, and we don't live in a fascist nation. And I gotta say, like. I got shivers playing this game and listening to some of those songs because, like, the visuals and, like, everything sort of... What's the word I'm looking for? Collecting, coinciding, uh, cascading, uh, uh, climaxing. Like, all up at the same time while mm-hmm. while you're watching the music. It, like... I, it's just, it literally gives, it gives me chills of, like, watching a boss come in and then, like, I blast them with, like, a bunch of uh, laser beams as, like, uh, you know, the drop comes in the song. It literally feels like it could be like a music video almost. Uh, it, it sounds like and reminds me a lot of Tetris Effect. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me really want a a mode on Tetris Effect where you can just plug any music in. Honestly, that would be really cool. Uh, and then like to have like the visualizers sort of come up and like uh, kind of dance around. Uh, yeah. That would, that would, uh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Especially just because that's such a Zen game. And I feel like this is a very Zen game as well. This is the type of game that uh, I would absolutely recommend, even outside of the bundle. I'm definitely going to be playing this like late at night uh, when I can't get to sleep and I just want to listen to some music, maybe pick up a new album that I haven't listened to before. Uh, or potentially, if I ever get in my hands on some psychedelics, and I know that I'm going to play this <laughs> game because holy shit, the lights in this game and like just the feelings of awe and like as things are just being destroyed and created, it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that please, yeah. more of that. Uh, so, so that was, uh, one hell of a unit, I gotta say. Th- that was one hell of a full package. You know, speaking of units, uh, have you heard Keanu Reeves is making a comic book? You know, you told me, and <laughs> I can't believe it. He is turning himself into the god of his own universe, baby. Into a giant metal unit, one might say. A metal unit, which is our next game. Mm-mm, tell me more. Uh, a game by Jelly Snow Studio, and this is their only game they've done so far. And the best way I can think to describe this game is it's just a Dead Cells clone. Like, it, it, it is, it feels like you're playing Dead Cells. I'm surprised that the Dead Cells creators didn't have some sort of hand in it because it is <laughs> that close to Dead Cells, honestly. Some sort um, of hand or legal complaint. <laughs> right? Uh, and it's it's great. It starts out with this idea of, like, who writes our history? And the whole game is sort of played around this premise of, like, 
you are playing as the good guy and your sister is like a traitor. She she defected to help fight for what is being described as the war criminals. And but every time you meet or interact with her or anyone from the other side, all, all they have to tell you basically is they're like the people you're working for are lying and you'll you'll find the truth out someday. And when you do, like, you'll understand why we did what we did. Uh, and I, I haven't beaten the game, so I have not found out the truth yet. But it, it, it brings in sort of these, like, ideas of, like, every side believes they're the hero. And, and like, we who whose history and truth do we believe? Like, is our side that has told us something is true for so long the right side? Or have we already created a sort of revisionist history to paint another side as you know, you know, the victims or the instigators or the people who are causing the problems. Hmm. So it's, it's really interesting in these sort of like themes that it tackles of like who, who is right when it comes to like saying what is wrong. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. And there's, there's some other like themes in there about like growing and learning and what it means to be like a novice versus like what we can learn from the people in charge. But I, I really like these ideas that it was hitting on, on like, what is history and who who is telling the truth about history what exa- who's who's the main character of this game and what what kind of journey do they go through uh the main character is unit 11 i believe is what she is she goes by uh because they just call you by your unit name in in the sort of like place that you're working for and and it starts out very much like your job is to is to fight for us life and death to take down the queen and so you you start off the game as a new recruit and you go through like you save your old recruitment squad basically uh in in exchange for doing the final like training protocol and then it becomes sort of like mission after mission of sort of saving the people that were in charge kind of uh you go out on this first mission and then your your superior officer comes to help you and gets swallowed by a dragon, so the next mission is trying to save her from the dragon, so you have to go fight it, and, and like, cut open its stomach and get her out, basically. And then, but then she gets kidnapped again by your sister, or whatever, uh, and you go to find out that, like, they're, they're using the people from the units to, like, harvest power and energy, like, the mad scientist on the other side is, like, using the collective human consciousness as sort of, like, a giant supercomputer, basically. What, so it's, like, the plot of the Matrix, with, like, uh, using all the brains <laughs> as, like, batteries and shit. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, and the whole thing feels very Matrixy of, like, you're sort of in this situation where uh, th- there's there's, like, little details, like, at the very start of the game, you mention having a sister. But then, like, halfway through the chapter, your character has no recollection of having a sister, but has the memory of having a sister. She's, you know, she has this, like, feeling that she has a sibling, but doesn't actually remember having a sister. So there's these sort of, like, ideas of, like, there's this some sort of indoctrination going on that, like, is controlling her thoughts in some sort of way. Oh, that's... An, and, 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 like, is the player sort of hinted to be, like, the thing that's controlling them, maybe, in, like, sort of a metatextual way? No, it doesn't it doesn't get into this metatextual okay, stuff. Um okay. there's there's some sort of like context that like the 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 metal units that you're controlling are they're like alien technology um and that they still have some sort of tie to the aliens and so that might be what's causing it or there's also the sort of like implication that it's it's your superior officers trying to like brainwash you into believing that what you're fighting for is right. 
Interesting. And, and yeah. that means that because this is a Dead Cells clone, it is a roguelike, and so... But but it also seems like there's like a story here to be to be learned and like like at least more than Basing Stroke. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very focused on the story. So like each little section is broken into sort of like chapters, and the chapters all involve you have to like explore these sort of tin levels. Uh, I I don't know the exact number, but you go through these like tin little levels basically while you're collecting gear and stuff, and all of those lead up to a boss fight. And if at any point you die in those tin levels or the boss fight, it returns you back to the city with no gear and you have to start over. Damn. Do you, and yeah. it, there's nothing that carries over either? Um, well, you can get permanent upgrades for your character. So, like, you can increase oh. their HP. Uh, there's, like, an upgrade that every time you clear a stage, you get 10 HP back. Uh, there's an upgrade that lets you retain equipment when you die. So it's, like, keep one piece of random equipment when you die. Um, so there are, there is that sort of retention and that idea in roguelikes where there's a sort of permanent upgrade system as you're going through as well that makes it easier. Right. So it's sort of like a, a an extrinsic progression ra- rather than like an intrinsic, if that's the right exactly. way. Exactly. I, I think that's the right way to describe it. Yeah. And, and I think it did a lot of really cool things with that sort of like roguelike mechanics. It's got a lot of like really cool areas that it explored with like, there's this upgrade system where you can get, like, pebbles or rocks or alien artifacts and combine it with your sword to make a better sword. Uh, And, like, so there's this sort of crafting system built within the game that creates some sort of, like, agency of, like, hoarding really garbage things because you can meld three of the starting pistols together to make a better pistol, and then you can combine that pistol with an alien artifact to make a pistol that shoots laser beams. Fuck yeah. Um... So yeah, it's it's got this really cool upgrade system that I liked a lot, and it's got uh, some other areas where there's like a door at every campfire, so you can choose to either go into the door to get more equipment, or you can rest at the campfire to get your health back. Mm. Um, but it shuts off if you choose to rest. So there's there's like a lot of really cool little areas, like secrets and stuff that are hidden around. Uh, you can get, like, an upgrade that lets you break build bigger boulders and then go back to the very first chapter and break the boulders in that chapter to get, like, legendary gear that you can then bring into the chapter that you're working on. Uh, so it's it's got a lot of cool, like, secrets and reasons to go back and play the earlier stuff so you can get better gear, too, in, in each individual playthrough. I, I really liked it a lot in that idea of the way it sort of experimented with the mechanics of that Dead Cell-style roguelike. Hell yeah. What, just curious, one thing that I've heard a complaint leveled against Dead Cells uh, is that at a certain point the le- the enemies just kind of feel like they aren't really there, like they're just kind of th- like these little obstacles in your way that you can just kind of shred through. I, I know exactly that... what you're saying in Dead Cells. <laughs> and I, Man, I'm surprised that's a complaint. That's one thing I love about that game is mm. that like as you progress, you get so strong that like the beginning things are just sort of like there. Um, Some people don't like that. <laughs> I I love that and that's actually kind of one of my complaints about this game is that like nothing ever felt broken and that's one thing I love about roguelikes uh-huh. when you like find that one piece of equipment that just like destroys everything like brimstone and binding of Isaac mm. um, and I, I love that like when you get an upgrade that makes you feel powerful and sort of feels unbalanced and breaks the game and in this game nothing ever felt like that like every every little mob still felt moderately difficult no matter how 
progressed I was in the game. And, like, all of the bosses were still very challenging, no matter, like, what gear I had. Like, I actually had to pay attention to combat patterns and stuff. I couldn't just get lazy and, like, oh, I got the grenade launcher. I can just blast everything and move on. Man, you know, that there's actually an interesting argument to be had for uh, unbalanced design and the idea of, of pr- putting things in a game purposefully that are, like, way overpowered for the sake of having that moment of when you get it being like, <gasps> yo! That's one of my favorite (laughs) moments about roguelikes is that, like, you'll play through 40 times and not find that one item that you just love because it's broken, and then you'll finally get it, and it makes that moment all the better, and you're like, I'm gonna win this playthrough now because I have the busted thing. I I don't know, but, like, but but is it a better game because it, like, requires you to actually, like, engage in, like, the game's mechanics every single time? Or or is it a, or or games better if if they allow you that to every once in a while just go crazy with like the the and at least that's the what roguelike. I that's what I think is that like this game isn't actually trying to be a roguelike I don't think and so I think in huh. the sake of this game very well balanced mechanics are actually better because it, ne- it like there's four chapters total. So if there was a broken weapon and you could just scream through those four chapters, it would like it would ruin the experience of the game. I think. Is um, is this also kind of like a a, a day after tomorrow or, or what is that one movie based on a Gamiga kill or no not is it a Gamiga kill the the one that that's like a, a the uh the the Steven Spielberg movie I think it was that was about a soldier who keeps living and dying and living and dying. Oh and... uh. <laughs> No, it's not that like they even have a sort of Deus Ex Machina that explains the sort of respawn mechanic is that like you're just being emergency pulled out of whatever situation you were in um and all they can really do in that case like all they have the energy to is like save the pilot basically. Uh so it's it's not like it's not like you're in any sort of time loop or anything. It it's literally just like this is the scenario you're trying to get through, and any sort of death is just you being extracted out of going to have died. Okay, the the manga that I was thinking of, so I'm not gonna have to put it back in later. Was all you need is kill. That's the one that I was thinking of. Uh, gotcha. And it inspired the movie called Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yep. And then I think that inspired like the train. But one. this is not that. No, it's not that. Um, it's it's very much unrelated and doesn't matter. <laughs> unrelated and doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a, it's a very self-contained story, and for that sake, I think it is. It's probably better that they didn't use a lot of those sort of like roguelike. Here's some busted item stuff. It just it felt enough like a roguelike and felt enough like Dead Cells that I still desired that sort of element. Fascinating. Just just playing it, you were like, I wish I could go through this faster. <laughs> yeah, I just I just wanted to one shot a boss. <laughs> <laughs> just once, just once, just to have the rush. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, oh. it's it's absolutely a great game. I recommend it a hundred percent, especially if you're a fan of like the Dead Cell style roguelikes. It 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 adds a lot of really cool ideas to this already established genre. The story is really well written, I think, and there's a lot of really difficult and fun sort of like boss fights and enemy engagements that make it worth playing it's a real challenge to survive though isn't that right yeah you you cannot escape the survival in this game yeah just like our next game uh which in just like the title says you literally can't escape don't escape four days to survive is a game developed by script welder and published by armor games 
you hear Armor Games and you're like, haven't I heard that before? Yes, you have. They're the Armor Games, like the one that had like the Stickman art, like arrow game <laughs> and like oh shit interactive buddy <laughs> and like all of those games that you have forgotten that you played but you absolutely oh my played God, yes i know the, the fucking shield with the swords yeah 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 yeah, yeah. armor games oh. that's them uh so script welder came from them and he made a bunch of free games for armor games uh and uh this is actually the fourth in a series of games called the, the don't escape games uh, he also has a game series called the Deep Sleep Games, and it almost feels like this is kind of a sequel to both of those because it takes elements and themes from both uh, about, about dreams uh, and about the futility of, of survival and escaping something that 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 feels inescapable, uh, but just trying to survive at least for one more day, uh, and, and what that means also just for the for the sake of humanity, because this game is very existential and nihilistic. It takes place at the end of the world where there are very few human beings remaining uh, after the moon exploded and uh, a bunch of horrible things started happening around the world because of that. And uh, at the end of four days, the moon crashes and hits the earth, Majora's Mask style. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah, so you have literally just four days to survive each night. And if you've never played any of the Dota Escape games... They all have a very similar uh, classic point-and-click adventure game style. The difference is, is that it has a unique preparation time crunch twist, where every action that you take takes up time and has to be rationed against using uh, other things that could be done in the day. Uh, and it tells you every time that you do something that will take up a certain amount of time, so you can kind of plan in accordingly. Uh, otherwise, you don't take up any time whatsoever, and just like walking around is, you know, free game. But... Because of that, and because of the fact that your player can only carry a certain amount of weight, things have to be carried behind, things have to be, like, left behind that are not useful. Uh, you have to really think strategically about what you actually need to survive on each given night, what you need to prepare and what you need to do in order to survive each individual sort of scenario. And what's cool about this game is that there are multiple different scenarios. I think the first night has three different scenarios, and the rest of them have two. But each time that you play the game, uh, and you're, I think, expected to play it twice to get the true ending, you get a different scenario that you have to play through. So let's say on night three, I had to deal with the excruciating heat. If I play it again, uh, which I do plan to at some point, then I'll have to deal with the excruciating cold. And so items that I used before, as, like insulation and stuff like that, will now be things that I'm wearing to keep myself warm, uh, to instead of keeping out the heat, like the heat blanket. Uh, that I used to like reflect heat in like a cave that I found. Uh, that 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 was how That's I so ended cool. up, you know, preparing on that night as I found like a cool cave and set up like an AC unit and like a couple fans and stuff like that and water bottles prepared. And you have to do all of that like the night before because you have a dream about it. And based mm -hmm. on the dream, you prepare, uh, you know, certain survival supplies. Like maybe you die from the sun in the dream, or you die by a spider bite in the dream, or you die by a uh, like uh, a bunch of people breaking the window and then taking you out and then murdering you. Uh, and then based on that, you have to be like, okay, there's people who are going to come and kill us tonight. What are we going to do? Uh, and then you have to move out with your group of survivalists. Uh, you start out mainly just with yourself, and then you can get up to uh, three other people on your team. <laughs> and 
Editor David here to let you know that we are implementing a spoiler policy, so if you'd like to skip segments that have spoilers to a game that you might want to play at some point in the future, then go ahead and just skip to 1 hour, 11 minutes, and 22 seconds to go ahead and uh, get past that. Also, we will be putting this time code in the description in the future, so you won't have to always listen to my voice interrupting you, unless you like that. If you really like it, maybe, maybe we'll keep doing it, who knows? Back to the show. And the only way to get them all out is to uh, beat the game a second time, knowing that at a certain point, one of the characters will die, and you have to warn them of it. So it's literally using the idea that you've played the game before as like a metaphorical device. On day three, uh, you have to go to investigate some ruins and a party member dies there, and you have to choose which of the two people to save, either an old guy named Barry or a young kid. Uh... And basically, uh, the real ending unlocks after you've beaten the game once, and you, then you go back using, by basically sending the memories from your first life back into another reality where they're supplanted into the subconscious of the, the character and you're playing again. So it's not like, not, not, not like they know exactly what's going to happen, but they have like a sort of premonition of what's going to happen. Because at the end of the game, you don't actually escape. You get to a space station that is on the moon that's crashing into the Earth. And uh, you find a bunch of pods that everyone on Earth that had enough money escaped to and put themselves in. And the pods transfer their mind and their subconscious outside of their bodies and teleport it into another dimension and then throws them in their body into that dimension. Oh, shit. So there's literally no escape for their physical body. The only escape is to get their mental spirit outside of their, their body and then send it, hopefully, into another universe that they don't know for sure. To free your consciousness. Yeah. But, but the, the, the big reveal after you, you, you do send yourself back and you don't have all your memories back uh, is that you just were sent back to the beginning of the game. Uh, or potentially, I think it, it might be hinting that you're being sent to, like... Uh, be other characters in like the extended script world or universe because like i haven't played the other oh. games recently but i kind of feel like some of the characters may have actually been characters from his other games i'm not 100 percent sure but that seems like that might be the case and if so that's like super rad it, they definitely feels like they have this like <laughs> inner I, I love this just like wild speculation I, though either way of like <laughs> it's completely wild but, like, the thing is, is that, I don't know, they, they feel connected because, I mean, this is literally Don't Escape 4. I don't know if you noticed that. Don't Escape yeah. 4, Don't Escape 1, 2, and 3, the trilogy, are all on Steam now, by the way, as well as the Deep Sleep trilogy, all for, like, $5. Uh, but this is sort of, like, the fourth in that series, sort of continuing all the same theories and ideas, and it sort of continues, or rather completes the, the sort of time loop, I, I guess. Uh, but... It, it all does that while also being a really interesting survival game uh, about having to survive a bunch of really specific, terrifying situations. Uh, on the first night, I had to deal with spiders, and uh, in order to sort of get get away with the spider situation, I had to, like, prepare a bunch of traps and, like, reinforce the walls, and I found, like, bug repellent that I then uh, fixed the, like, sprinkler system outside and then put the bug repellent inside the sprinkler system so that as, like, the bugs came, then they were, like, sprayed with bug spray. Uh, but it's just, like... That's so good. Like, you have to do all of that, and it's just so that you can survive that one night. And and I think that's a really interesting gameplay loop that very few other games have. Uh, 
And I would, I'm a huge fan of these type of games, way recommended for people. If you're a fan of uh, point-and-click adventure style games, especially like escape rooms, like that kind of old-school Flash type game, this is totally in that era and in that vein, and uh, you'll really enjoy it. Uh, Hell yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, the, the, the girl who, who like, you, you, you fucking ha- <laughs> rescues you, I guess rescue, quote-unquote, she crashes a helicopter into your house. <laughs> uh, and then points a gun at you. Sounds like a real. Oh yeah, yeah, they're a fucking. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, a, a, a to be uh, exiled into the void. They certainly would wish that upon themselves. I, I don't think that they like other people that much. You know, I wouldn't wish being a void on anyone. Because <laughs> void is our next game, and we're gonna talk about it. Uh, it's a blue Manchu game, uh, and they also did Card Hunter which is like a free-to-play tabletop tactical RPG card game on Steam right now. It looks kind of cute and charming. This is a roguelike, but in space. I felt the necessity to say this was a roguelike, but in space, because it really fits the brand of the game. (laughs) Because this is like... If Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy made a video game... Not like Douglas Adams made a video game. Just that. But if the... But if the book Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy gained sentience and developed a video game with the only sort of cultural knowledge of Borderlands. Oh, hell yeah. I love that. I'm really into that. <laughs> That's like all the things I like. It's so good. <laughs> it's, it's this really, it's got this really charming sense of like dry corporate humor, which is just amazing. Like your whole, the whole game is you're playing a convict and every iteration of going through this game, you're just a different convict that was sentenced to jail for something. And it's like, it it tells you like what you went to jail for it for like fraudulent check or like revolting against the government or like, like all kinds of different like things from like really petty crimes to really serious crimes. And like all of these, uh, all these convicts have like ridiculous sentences so (laughs) the the intent is that like you are you are playing a convict who is working for this sort of like government agency uh to do things to reduce your sentence and so like the first mission has you creating a fake id uh and so you get the parts to make the fake id and in in creating the fake id you find out that you don't have the console to actually print the id uh, but you also get convicted of, <laughs> so the charming little AI pops up and it's like, uh, for completing this task, we have decided to reduce your sentence by 42 years, but forging a government, forging a government document results in a 42 year sentence. So that has been added to your sentence. <laughs> so it's like, it's constantly adding time. So you'll literally never escape the hell of the prison industrial complex exactly that's exactly what it is and it's so fucking good it's such a good look at like this corporate dystopia of like in in recruiting convicts to do their work for them but also like never actually giving them the freedom that's been promised to them and it's so charming it's just it's loaded with all these little like quips and jokes about just like the world you spawn in and they're like uh 
using radiation is to alter your body is against galactic regulations. <laughs> Therefore, all pirates using radiation to alter their body have been deemed criminals of the state. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of like some of the, the funnier aspects of the Fallout universe, especially when it comes to the vault. Uh, and sort of like the, ex yeah. the cruel, cruel experimentation on human beings uh, and just sort of like the nonchalance of, of the, the horrible things that they did to people and just sort of the name of like trying it out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. And like, I, I just found myself laughing more, like so much fucking playing this game because it just it's full of all these just like really small moments of just really great witty humor that just is beautiful commentary on, like, this world and universe they've created, but also our own world. Well, yeah, because, like, we live in a world where we will let our prisoners become firefighters and risk their lives to, like, actually save lives, and then we don't let them become firefighters afterwards. It's sort of like the right? a similar thing of just kind of like, uh, we're going to give you the training for this, and we're going to, like, give you all the resources to do this, but also if you die, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just combined with this sort of, like, uh this this self-aware like intellectual comedy that like you you build the computer and the computer's like push the button on the side to uh, decrease the process when you're making the id because it, it's going to take like 128 years to put yourself into the system and so they're like push the button on the side to decrease the time by 42 years and you push the button and then the computer catches on fire and it's like you push the button without an overclocking cooling system you must gather that first <laughs> god it just sounds like like a like bureaucratic hell, fucking Franz Kafka exactly ass that. motherfucking like space game. That's it's so much that, and it's so fun. Like the first, the first turret you encounter, it's just like, uh, we recommend avoiding the turret so that you don't die. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, no shit. Like yeah, yeah. God, that reminds me of seeing the turret for the first time in the like the portal games and like all like the the snarky shit that Glados would say to you, just like. Make sure you don't get in front of their friendliness bullets or something like that. I don't remember what she said, but it's sort of yeah, like... Yeah, 100%. And I, same thing. Like, Portal has that same sort of charm, that sort of, like, Douglas Adams, weird sort of intellectual, dark humor. <laughs> like, you're a prisoner and you're trapped here, but that's kind of the joke. Exactly. And they're very aware of it. And they're just going to poke fun at it the whole time. I like that. Uh, so I, I absolutely loved this game. And it was hard. It was, like, I remember messaging David the first day, like, this game is fucking hard. And I, it took forever to get past, like, the first mission, because they give you nothing to start. You, like, you don't start with any uh, bullets in the first mission, and they force you to die, and they go, oh, we should add bullets to your care package for the next what? prisoner. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> they just let the first one yeah. die, because it's, I bet there's, like, an achievement for, like, winning the game with the first guy, then. There's gotta be. You can't. There's no way really? to. There's no way. It's just no. It's just, yeah, you just you can, die then. You walk into a hallway and there's just like six robots that start blasting you as soon as you walk through. And they're just like, oops, forgot to give you bullets. We'll fix it for the next prisoner. Yeah, it didn't matter for him. That next one, we'll, we'll, we'll exactly. figure that out.
And and like it it it's so it's God I love this game. There's there's a fucking backpack on you, and the backpack has like sentience. So when you die, the backpack returns to the sort of like Federation, so that it can go to the next prisoner, so that they have the care package. You're all replaceable, and I'm here to remind you of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a dead quote from the game. <laughs> really? I just made that up on my own. <laughs> <laughs> it it very much treats everyone like they're expendable. And so it's 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 brutally difficult to start cuz you have like eight bullets and there's like 12 guys on every ship at least and there's some that like you can't kill until later on in the game. So you can waste your 12 bullets trying to, but it's not going to do anything. The point is is uh, that like you got to fucking avoid shit and you got to actually like not engage with everything it sounds like. Exactly, at least to start. And then once you start to like get your upgrades and get new weapons and be able to find like bullets in in the the exploration because that's not something that they give you to start. You can't find bullets while exploring. It's an upgrade that you get that allows you to find bullets in lockers. <laughs> so once you start to unlock that, everything carries over to your next character. So then you can start like, okay, now I got enough bullets for my pistol this round that I can use my pistol on this character, and I got enough bullets for my stapler for my next character, so... Do you just have, a, like, a regular stapler? Uh, it's it's in, like, an automatic stapling gun, uh, so it shoots a burst of staples out like a shotgun. I, I, was, I thought... <laughs> the image that you gave me was just, like, a prisoner with a... Like, just holding, like, an office stapler, just trying to, like, kill, like, a giant alien, like... <laughs> oh, I wish. There's no melee or anything in the game, so once you're out of ammo, it's just run and survive. Oh, gosh. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really hard. You have to get upgrades to make the game easier, honestly. Uh, the baseline is just, like... Once you get upgrades, it gets to the level where you would expect the baseline or start of the game to be. Like, I, my character's almost fully upgraded at this point, and it's still very challenging. Uh, and, and, like, add to that, there's, like, these survival management aspects of, like, you need fuel in order to get to the next ship, so you have to make sure you're exploring to get, like, fuel and food so you don't die as you're exploring space as well. Um, there's there's a lot of really cool little things. It's, it's a fucking incredible game. It's probably one of the best first-person shooter roguelikes I've ever played. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's really hard. I have not found a lot of good first-person shooter roguelikes. Oh. Uh, but it's just, it's so charming. And if if you like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if you're a fan of Borderlands, if you like roguelikes, like, there are dozens of reasons to play this game. I hear you, man. Well, if an office stapler isn't something that you're going to be able to use as a weapon in Void it certainly would be the type of weapon that you would use in Yuppie Psycho. Uh, Yuppie Psycho is a game developed by Baroque Decay. Baroque Decay is a developer also known for a game called The Count Lucanor, which is, I believe, a game that has been released on PC and also on Switch. Uh, there's, I think, supposedly, some Yuppie Psycho DLC and a console release also on the way, potentially, at some point, and I certainly hope so, because I want more of this game. Uh, this is really good. It's a surreal horror adventure game about a man's first day of work in a corporation that is rotting from the inside. You start out as a really hopeful yet hesitant protagonist who receives an offer from work very similar in tone to, like, uh, Luigi getting the letter to go to the Luigi's Mansion. 
uh, I'm like, oh boy, someone sent it to me anonymously, and I don't know whose it is, but uh, <laughs> like, I suppose I might as well capitalize on this. And you do. Uh, you uh, learn very quickly that there is a ranking system towards the citizenship of people that exist outside of the company, and apparently your character is a lower-ranked G citizen. Uh, you, some guy who you meet right away is like, You're a G citizen! Oh, get away! And you find out later that he works on the second floor of the corporation, where like the higher up you work, the more important you are. Literally, like, one floor above from the lobby. <laughs> he was... Yeah. And then you go there, and you know where he is? You In the second floor, there's literally just a bunch of people wandering around in the darkness, bumping into each other, and that's the only thing happening. It's called initiation. That's what the whole floor is called. And he doesn't get above that's it. so good. But this guy's like, oh, this, cow, this peasant wants to talk to me. And it's just like the the whole game, really starting off on that tone, I feel like it's such a perfect tone to start off on. Because it's this uh, satire of like business culture and yuppie culture of the 80s and 90s. Uh, and this sort of like, uh, put your nose to the grindstone, like every day of work is the greatest day imaginable. Uh, and you just have to grit your teeth and like not care about the things that are actually making you suffer. Uh <laughs> In right at the beginning, uh, you are told that your job is not a traditional job. Your job is to hunt the witch. Like a giant bloody message scrawled on like a screen lets you know that that's your mission. And uh, you start off the game just being able to explore almost the entire facility pretty much right away, with the exception of like certain areas being blocked off, like say because you don't have a flashlight yet or. Uh, you know, maybe there's like a gas coming out of a certain area, so you can't get in there. Um, and and it's it sort of in that way operates a little bit like a sort of a Zelda game where you have to get certain key items in order to progress. Uh, but it also is sort of like a point and click game where, uh, you know, you sort of like you grab one thing here, use it there. Uh, just the story and the character designs and the music are all very good. The music sort of reminds me a little bit of the soundtrack from Danganronpa, where it's got this, like, future jazz thing going on, where it's, like, a little psychedelic and creepy and fun, and I love it. Uh, it is a huge love letter, I'd say, to RPG Maker-esque survival horror games like uh, Ip and Corpse Party. Uh, and so if you're a fan of those kind of, like, cult hit games that uh you know we're all about the story and about the atmosphere and the storytelling despite being really low budget then you'll really enjoy this uh lots of things want to hurt and kill you so you have to eat things to regain health like coffee and uh microwave pizza and microwave instant noodles uh you save by photocopying your face and trapping your soul in witch paper which is a really interesting mechanic because it, the more that you do it, the more fucked up it gets, like the image. And like the more it seems like someone's forcing you into the image and like the screen gets cracked and like there's some kind of mummified being behind you. And uh, the rest of the game sort of hints at what that might be. Uh, and the ending, I'll just say, is very satisfying, but it feels like there are many secrets that the game doesn't really like unfold. There's a blocked off sixth floor that's a research and development department that like was related with a whole bunch of robotics uh, that ends up becoming really important. You never get to see the security room in room three or sorry, floor three. 
and also there's like a bunch of weird things like using a witch paper in the mirror makes you literally become the yuppie devil and he like takes your soul uh <laughs> and it's like this weird like thing where like you just can't get rid of it he just has your soul at that point and you can keep playing the game where you can like reload a save it doesn't matter he just has your soul uh that's so weird yeah um and it, like it doesn't explain what that means but it, but it's implied that maybe like your character in some ways is the yuppie devil or something mm -hmm. because later on you have to don the suit and you have to uh, uh well I, you know what you know what i'm just gonna go ahead and give a spoiler warning right here so uh jump to this time code here if you want to skip this part one hour 36 minutes and eight seconds from now on there's going to be spoilers um you go into this area where there's like a, in the ninth floor in the executive's office and you get to talk with this guy named spader who is uh someone with a lot of power and influence in the company but he's only a contractor so he isn't actually like a boss over the company and you find out actually that n there is no boss in the company and the boss there's this there's, it's basically like a, a corpse walking around without a head uh and for the longest time uh this one guy who you meet named hugo has been working to go up the ranks slowly and surely from like literally the bottom the lowest point possible and then because uh, a full year passes without any uh person in the head office as a ceo uh, he is apparently automatically assigned to be the CEO after, like, uh, he, like, threatens, you threaten to kill him or something, like, at, like, a birthday party for him, at, like, a, at, like, oh, a work shit. birthday party that goes horribly wrong, uh, but then the end of the game is basically you dethroning him, and, and, but then after you dethrone him, you find out a whole bunch of shit about him, like, uh, for example, he used to be a janitorial worker that was a lower class than you were, and, he only survived in the company because he cleaned up the body of someone that died that looked like him and stole his identity. Oh, shit. And so at the janitorial worker as a lower class than anyone else in society believes that he has the power and has the right more than anyone else in the company to rule over everyone else with an iron fist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the only way that you get him to, to kick out his position as the CEO is you go and revive the daughter of the CEO, Ray Ray Sinatra, or Ray, Ray Sintra, and uh, you you basically bring her back from the dead and revive her, and then you show him to her, and then she takes over, and then she's like laughing as she's casting him out, and like just saying horrible things like ah, ah, croak 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 little pig like <laughs> holy shit <laughs> cuz like he he used to like uh pretend to be like a superhero with like a, a toad outfit and then you find out that the superhero cape that he was given was given to him by like it, his mentor that used to be a hunter that like hunted witches and shit so he used to be on like the good side but then he joined the witch and like probably killed his mentor and then the f wow and then if you get the true ending Hugo jumps off the roof of the building and tries to fly like his mentor told him to with his cape. And, and, and like, so, so he kills himself, but, but only in like such a way that like he was told to before that like, <laughs> this is the, the cape that like, if you, if you wear this and you jump, then like you will succeed and you will fly. And he, he didn't fly and he fell. And it's just so Holy shit. fucking sad. 
It, but like because of that, and I almost want there to be more to the game. Like you know, it feels like like I said, like there's something kind of like missing from the game. Like maybe they 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 there's like a level in the game that they just had to cut for content reasons. But oh my god, so much of this game is great. I mean, there's a lot that I didn't even mention. Like for example, my, one of my favorite characters is the forest goblin. He's a an old man who's on the eighth floor garden. And uh, he's been at the company for so long and seen the witch so many times that he gouged his eyes out and has been granted the mystic power of commercialism. And he's able to turn barcodes into <laughs> potent magic contracts. So I love that sentence. The mystic power of commercialism. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> basically how it's presented in the game as well. He also trades cheese slices for witch paper. <laughs> there's like there's a one point after you visit the witch, you go to see him and you're like, I saw the witch. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I have a piece of cheese. It calms me down. <laughs> That's so good. It feels like there's a lot of sort of like themes about and talks about like sort of class solidarity and stuff in here too. A hundred percent. But there's also like at the end of the game, you get to choose basically whether or not you want to continue working at the company or whether or not you want to leave the company. And I think that is an interesting decision. And like, I honestly fucking pieced the hell out of there because, like, so much shit happened that was, like, so <laughs> fucked up and people died and, like, I mean, there's, like, people walking around in all fours acting like goats and it's totally played off like it's just yoga. And that that's why it's totally cool for them to just, like, you know, yep. be climbing over stuff and, like, eating papers and, like, playing on the floor and stuff. Uh, it's it's yoga. It's the new age thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> And, and, like, the women from HR are, like, these, like, faceless giant lips that'll spit acid at you if you try to, like, get close to them. Holy shit. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. That feels like this game is, like... It's, it's really... Oh, sorry. Interesting. We do a lot of... No, sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, we do a lot of talk about how, like, we, we, we've played these sort of capitalist games that are really detached from the humanity mm -hmm. of it. And it feels like this is almost the opposite take. It took, like, a very capitalist thing and added the humanity back to it into an absurd... Oh, 100%, man. And, like, God, there's so much about this game that's just so full of life and, like, so full of surprises. Like, th there's this really funny scene early on where you just walk into a room and there's this woman staring at a piece of shit and you walk up to her and you ask what, are, what is she staring at and she says it's horse shit uh, and then later you find out that there's like a, a, the guy, a motivational speaker who comes in and he, he's on a horse and his name is Colonel Dumont and he has a horse named Dada and uh, he fucking <laughs> that's so funny yeah because <laughs> the whole game is a little bit Dadaist honestly especially after like a certain turn but like he just basically spits in your face and insults you and forces you to say things like i am worthless garbage i am trash but i want to be the best of the best i need to be the best of the best i need to work every day in order to be the best of the best like <laughs> it's just such a great fucking wholesome look at, i guess not wholesome but it made me feel fucking something like watching this and just thinking about like the own experiences that I've had in my own life and how absurd this is and how it feels like nice to see something that's relatable, even though it's also kind of psychologically horrifying. <laughs> and there's just lots of other shit that's like hidden in this too. Uh, there's like a, this one segment that I found uh, that like, I forget exactly how I got it, but you find like one of your coworkers missing their head and like bleeding and stuff. Uh, if you like play a certain cassette tape that you find in a weird spot, 
and it like breaks the game's geometry and like it just weird weird things like that pop up everywhere that that's fucking cool i i played this game so much i nearly 100%ed it actually uh there's only two achievements that i didn't get which were uh beating the whole game without saving and uh collecting every single like drawing that that you can find in the game but other than that mm-hmm. i i did every single thing that was possible because it felt like i just wanted to know more like the, the game just was so good that it felt made me want to explore the world and by the time that it was over i wasn't ready for it to be over and i wanted to explore more of it which i feel like that is the sign of like a well-crafted well-designed interesting world i feel like yeah Yeah. that i mean that's the hallmark right even once it's done you want to know And actually i did find out more um there's a youtube channel that you can find in the game if you collect all the vhs tapes that are like horror themed uh all of those clips turned out to be like real horror films that they were made i I presume by like uh, the developers of the game but they were like multilingual as well like some of them are in japanese and some of them are in spanish and some of them are like in french or german or something uh and it's all on like a youtube channel that's supposedly from one of the characters that's like one of my favorite characters in the game by the way she's like adorable and great uh that's so cool. Yeah, like all 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 the characters in that game are really great, partially because they betray your first expectations of them. You know, when you first meet them, you kind of have this impression of them like, oh, this is what this character is going to be based on like, you know, my previous interactions with people like this in my own work life or or just in your mm-hmm. your previous experience with horror tropes. And then it completely subverts it. And I th- I think that's really cool. So, uh, I highly recommend this game for anyone interested in cult indie horror games. Uh, or anyone that feels like they can relate to the existential horror of office work life. Uh, and who can't? Yeah, who really can't? I I don't know how to segue this. Uh, perhaps someone locked in the earth who's never had a corporate yeah, job. Locked, locked in a, locked, yeah, just locked. Our next game is Earthlock. Uh, in case you couldn't tell by that bad segue. It's a horrible segue. <laughs> One of the worst I've ever done. Uh, this is a game by Snowcastle Games who Earthlock is their only game they've done, but they also released an iOS app called Hogworld Nart's Adventure. And that is, Nart is one of the characters in Earthlock, and it's a uh, an interactive book about Nart's adventure. So it's, it's a, yeah, and it's lauded as very good. So if you got iOS, check out Hogworld Nart's Adventure, <laughs> I guess, if Earthlock tickled your fancy. Uh, this is a turn-based RPG, uh, and it's, it's a very, I, I found it to be, like, a very traditional, generic RPG, you know? A lot of the, like, themes and stuff it's talking about is just, like, your your uncle's dying, go get him medicine, and, like, uh, what, we're studying and learning more about the world around us and how the magic and stuff influences things. And, like, uh, <laughs> I wrote this as nepotism and its influence on success. But what I really mean by that is, like, one of the characters is the general's daughter who doesn't get to go out to battle to start. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, Uh, well, there you go. There it is. (laughs) Here's the truth of the matter. So it's, like, yeah, it's it's, it's a lot of those, like, very traditional RPG themes. It it doesn't really, like, break the mold in that sense. Um, It it, it does have, like, uh, I love this talk about why is medicine so whack? Your your uncle's dying and he can't afford his medication, so your scavengers like, come on, people, why don't we have health care? <laughs> what well, what what year is this set in? We still don't have health care. Come on. <laughs> yeah, this is like the mid nineteenth century or some shit. I don't fucking. Yeah, it's know. bullshit. It's a took too long. World. They don't mention years. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the fantasy world, took Just too give long. Give them it. 
yeah, it took too long. Give the man his medicine. He's dying. Hmm. Um, it's it's not a very challenging game. Uh, I found right off the bat the zones were very structured in a specific manner that like made them very easily predictable. It was like uh, there were two save spots in each zone. You fought through some like uh, very basic enemies getting to the second save spot. The second save spot indicated that there was a boss next. Uh, and that's, like, how every zone was structured. It was, like, two or three, like, areas of enemies, and then you get to the boss. And it, it was very predictable, but there was a lot of, like... Uh, it, it, it played the genre in a way that was kind of unique. Like, one of the areas that you're exploring, it's you're in, you're in a desert. And so you have to walk through shade specifically. And the longer you spend out in the sun, you can eventually pass out from exhaustion and wake back up in the last shade you were in. Um, so it became this balance of like rushing to little different areas of shade while trying to explore still. And like, how far out can I go? Can I make it to this point or not? Um, so it had a lot of like really cool, like environmental mechanics like that. Uh, and it had the traditional sort of like, turn-based RPG. There were areas that you knew you could get to later, but if you walked in there and tried to get to them early, you just got, like, one shot by the mobs, so you know you have to come back to that. But none of the mobs were very difficult when you were their level. It was very much kind of just, like, mashing through the combat to get to the boss. And then the bosses were all very... They were designed to be beaten a specific way. Like, all of the characters have certain mechanics that interact in certain ways. Like, the first boss, uh, he attacks back anytime you attack him. And so if you try to just, like, melee him to death, you'll immediately get, like, counterattacked and you'll die. Uh, so what you have to do is leave, like, one of your members up to counterattack, uh, who has an ability to counterattack, and just constantly taunt the boss. So the boss hits her, she'll hit the boss back, and then you just keep healing her up. And that's, like, that's the way that fight is designed to be played. Um, and then, like, the next, one of the, another boss uh, has, like, a one-shot fire AoE. And so, other than that, he doesn't do any damage. So it's literally just, like, hit his arms, uh, keep up your, AO, your the, the elemental shield that, like, prevents any fire damage, and then just smack his face when he falls down. So... Like all the all the boss fights had a very specific strategy you had to use. So once you solved that, it was very easy to. Um, I I, I don't have a lot more to say about. Was it, it kind of one of those games where you feel like you've solved it in your head and you just have to wait to watch it play out? That's exactly what it was. That frustrates yeah. me in a lot of games. It was so frustrating. It was like, well, I, I know what I'm doing, and like I've proved it through three loops already, but I still have to do six more loops of this boss fight because he has that much health. Right. I mean, sometimes I can get behind that kind of... I don't know, maybe I can't. <laughs> I, I, I find it hard to get behind. I mean, but I did like... The game does a lot of really cool things for the genre. Like, the talent system is... it's like these rows of cards and you, you certain areas fit certain cards and other ones fit different ones. Um, so you have, you have like dedicated points for, or you have like dedicated slots for like ability talents versus skill talents versus like base stat talents. Uh, and as you like fill up these cards, they unlock other little panels that give you new like moves and stuff or like extra HP and things like that. So the talent system was kind of unique. Um, 
every character had a specific skill that they could use. So the exploration was a lot of like this, this guy can scavenge. So you can like dig through like old parts with him and this guy can pick flowers. So you can pick flowers with him. Uh, it, it wasn't, it felt more like a nuisance than anything. Cause you like had to manually switch through characters every time you wanted to interact with a new object in the environment. But it was still a kind of interesting look at that. Like, the ideas of how that could be furthered of like each character with a specific ability and how you use those to navigate and get through the world. So I I'm really excited because they said they're doing a second one. Uh, I have no idea when it's going to be released, but if they take the sort of like themes and structure from this and like learned from that and used it to build something better, that's got a little more depth. I think it could be a phenomenal game. Honestly, this one itself, I, it's an interesting take on an old genre, but it doesn't really, like, stand out. It's not terrible, but it's not, like, game of the year, revolutionary, turn-based RPG. It's just another one in the mold. Can you speak to a little bit of the visual style of this game? I don't see any of that in here. Just curious. Oh, yeah. I, I'm so bad about speaking to the arts. Um, <laughs> uh, The visual, it's 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 sort of like a... It's very low poly, sort of three D cartoony, um, if that makes sense. A little, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't like. There's nothing like visually stunning about it. It's kind of like. Is it minimalistic? It, it just felt. Not. It's not minimalistic. I mean, because I think that intends some sort of like intent. Right. Um. It's. It's just sort of generic. Okay. It's. It's what you'd expect. Like if if I told you a. Uh, a a low poly 3D animated turn based game. It's probably exactly what you'd imagine in your mind. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, you know what game really wasn't at all what I envisioned in my mind. Uh, MLB 2K20. You know, I really didn't expect him to dunk the ball that hard. I expected him to do it with at least a little bit less velocity, and it really shocked me when he he did the dunk that good in 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 the in the major league ba- 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 baseball basketball. <laughs> you you had the acronym right, but wrong sport. <laughs> I, I'm I'm an expert sportman. Uh, I just want you to know I I'm an expert at all the sports, uh, especially cricket and badminton. Uh, so, Verlet Swing is not a sport, it is a game. Uh, it is a game with a really interesting premise. Uh, it is developed by, and published by Flamebait Games, who also made Pass Part Out, The Starving Artist, which I showed Johnny a minute ago and he really enjoyed. It was a, uh, comedic artist simulator where you create your own works of art and sell them to critics. Uh, and I just think that is a lovely idea for a game. But this game, another lovely idea... Although I'm not sure exactly how they came up with it, is Verlet Swing. It's a surreal vaporwave first-person shooter platformer uh, with a focus on swing physics. It's not really a shooter. It's just that first-person perspective, and you use uh, the center of your screen to sort of uh, grapple on to uh, different things, and you actually have to aim for that. So in, in that sense, it is a little bit of the first-person shooter skill set. I definitely felt like I was getting better at first-person shooters playing this game. <laughs> I had to turn up my mouse sensitivity a little bit because I was like, oh, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't turn around fast enough in order to grab the thing. Uh, but anyway, so the floor in this game is lava, and everything else 
you have to grapple onto and swing around and jump around in order to be able to get to the goal at the very end. It reminds me of Monkey Ball in a good way, uh, not just because of the checkerboard pattern that the game uses liberally, that Monkey Ball also used liberally, <laughs> uh, but also just in that they're both very uh, momentum, physics-based, uh, skill-based platformers, uh, where the focus is all on the movement, and there's you know a little bit of manual adjustment in the air, and, but mostly it's focused on the, the, the physics while you're attached to the swing, uh, you're sort of able to maneuver yourself a little bit more while you're on the swing rather than when you were off of it. Uh, it's very similar to sort of Spider-Man in that you're sort of grappling onto things and then using the momentum from that to sort of carry yourself uh, around large objects. Uh, it's very analogous to that, but one thing that I will say about Spidey is that he can like pull himself towards his webs very quickly or kind of uh, scoop them up or, or that kind of a thing and that really isn't the case in this game it, it relies 100 percent on swing physics where uh you just have to use the momentum of the swing pulling you uh you know down and then back up and, and using that momentum uh, either horizontally or vertically in order to carry yourself through all of these really abstract levels uh it's really difficult to do first person platforming correctly uh, I think Mirror's Edge tried it, and it did an okay job, but it really wasn't perfect. It's kind of finicky, and you don't know 100% where the ground is below you. And so it makes sense that, to do it right, you just say, fuck it to the to, the, to everything below you. It doesn't matter. If you touch it, you die. Got it? Go. <laughs> in that sense, I feel like it's kind of like the ideal first-person platformer, in that it's just all about getting the speed, getting the momentum, and, and feeling the sort of speed and the the quick reaction time that you have to have in order to like grapple onto something at the last possible second in order to get in that sense, very similar to remnants of Nazeth, I'd imagine uh, the game that we covered, I believe it was last month, uh, except that was a 2d game and this is a 3d game. And honestly, uh, another similar thing that this game shares with that game is that they have uh, time counters in every single level that count up instead of down. Uh, so in monkey ball, the, the timer counts down. You have to get to the end before the timer runs out. In this game, the levels are hard enough that you don't really have to worry about that. If you get to the end, then, like, you did good enough to progress. Good job. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm on, like, level 95 right now. I didn't beat it 100%. There's only 100 levels. But the level I'm on right now is called Rage, and it's called Rage for a good reason. It's so hard. It is, like, insanely hard. Only the last 20 levels get this hard. But, like, once you hit that last 20-level gap, it starts getting to the point where it's real ridiculous, and there's basically nothing to be able to latch on to. But I watched a speedrunner do it, and they beat the whole game in 15 minutes. And so I know that if I was to actually, like, learn a speedrun game, I had enough fun with this one that I think I would do it on this. Like, this game has the mechanics that, like, I even was just figuring out on my basic first run of, like, okay, well, if you grab something and it's already in movement, then you can use the movement from that object to carry yourself and propel yourself into the air and to, like, do certain tricks and skips then, you know, you can also, like, jump over obstacles in the uh, earlier segments and just completely skip areas if you're able to get enough momentum. Uh, Hell yeah. And, and then all that stuff, either I learned from watching a speedrunner or just doing it on my own in my casual playthrough to just to try to get to the end of certain levels. And uh, there's also, like, a free level editor uh, and community-made levels available. Uh, it has, like, a really cool 90s 3D modeling aesthetic that makes you feel like you're using Windows 95 or 98 and, like, one of those early 3D modeling softwares. Uh, I feel like the features of the level editor need some work, like the ability to copy-paste objects needs to be a little bit easier, stuff like that. Uh, and there aren't too many levels yet, 
But there were some really creative ones that I saw, like one that was like a giant world-sized palm tree that you had to scale, uh, and that one was really enjoyable. Uh, but yeah, so if you're into non-traditional first-person platformers, maybe you're a fan of... Uh, oh God, what was that game? It was like, ah, for the awesome. Uh, that was a game where you're like a skydiver, and it's it's all about just skydiving. And it's 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 similar in that aspect of controlling movement, but rather than just falling, you're controlling, you know, the momentum of you falling into a swing and then pulling you into the air and then maybe using the horizontal momentum of that just swing you around a pillar horizontally. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's fun. Uh, it's got a really cool aesthetic, which is Vaporwave. And if you don't know what Vaporwave is, I probably should have explained that at the very beginning, so I apologize for having gone this far with you not even knowing what the game looks like. Uh... <laughs> Uh, it's like this 90s kind of like abandoned wear aesthetic where it's inspired by like slowed down uh, mall music sort of to make you feel nostalgic for something that has passed uh, and also usually incorporates some aspect of like uh, Japanese characters or something un untranslatable or unintelligible uh, sort of to give that feeling of uh, familiarity with something but not knowing what it means yet sort of like when you're a kid and you're able to see something but not really know what it means. I don't, I don't know if I'm just speaking out of my ass or if that's just what it means to me, but anyway. Uh, that right there was Verlet Swing. Verlet Swing is fun, it's speedy, it's jumpy, and I, I like it. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the next one that we're going to go over seems to be fun, but in a very different way from Verlet Swing. It's a lot less about movement and uh, a lot more about politics. Yeah, a lot more about politics. Uh, Sigma Theory. A game by Me Close Studio, Gobbins Studio, and Fiber Tiger. And between the studios, they've done things like Legends of Keepers, Snowtopia, Dungeon Rushers, and Out There Omega Edition. So, if I don't punch my mic. So, this game is, it's like a turn-based strategy management espionage game. Uh, it's, it's really interesting because the, the whole game opens with like these ideas of who controls the world in an information based society. Like basically they let you know that like a bunch of massive discoveries that are going to change the world are going to come out in the next few years. And it's our job as our, for our country to like discover these things first so that we have control over them so that they don't fall into the wrong hands and we can capitalize on it. And so throughout the game, like at the very start of it, you're presented with the opportunity to recruit the four members of your team. And it's really cool the way the recruitment works. You have to like read their profiles and then give them a response when they ask you to like how, like what, why you're doing this. You give them a response that's appropriate to their desires as a person in order to get them to come do it for you so like if they're pacifist you say you're trying to make the world a better place or they may be like someone who really like cares about furthering themselves in society and you say like fuck the rules we can take this for ourselves you know um so you sort of like have to give them the information they need to like join your team and then through the whole time you're competing with all these other countries to develop this technology first and it's things like a uh, renewable source of energy that like is totally environmentally friendly. Um, and so like the first group to discover that gets some sort of bonuses or you can choose to share it with the world and you forfeit the bonuses that your agents would get from it. Oh. So 
Yeah, it's really cool. Like one of them was a, 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 a like cognitive thing that allowed you to increase the like reflexes of of people. Basically, make super soldiers, and you could share it with the world, or you could turn your agents into super soldiers so that like they had better reaction time for things. If you share it with the world, does that imply that it's being used for humanistic reasons, or just that everyone's using it in general? That's exactly what it implies because there's a doomsday clock. Mm. And the doomsday clock, the the basically the more you fuck over other people, the closer you get to a global catastrophe. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And so it, yeah, and so if you choose to share the information with everyone, like the doomsday clock always sets back because you're using the technology to benefit like the entirety of the world. But if you keep it to yourself, it ticks the doomsday clock forward because you're like you're exploiting it and you're using it to become like a more superior superpower rather than giving everyone access to the information and knowledge. It's a really nuanced take on information technology and the idea of information warfare. Yeah, it really is. And I, I really enjoyed that sort of idea of like how is it more valuable to like hoard our information or to share it with everyone? And, and that sort of take on like, if we share it with everyone, then everyone has access to it. We can make the world a better place because no one's using it maliciously because everyone has access to Does it. Does anything ever happen in the game where it's like, we gave everyone nukes and uh, some people made some nuclear reactors for themselves, which is cool, but also like some blew up or something. I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't take anything to that level, honestly. It, it's very generic, and most of the stuff you get, it's not like... It, it, it's it's more like the world nowadays. It's not like developing nukes and stuff. It's things like, oh, we found a way to transfer data at an alarmingly quick w rate, like one teraflop per second. So, like, oh. it, it, yeah, it's, it's things that you would expect us to actually discover right now, not like, like 20, 40 <laughs> years like ago. Like actual technological innovations and, like, just the the minor things. Exactly, like the things that would just genuinely make the world a kind of better place or could be exploited. And it's great because it, it, it's it got a bunch of corporations too within the thing. And the corporations are constantly coming to the governments and they're like, hey, if you share your technology and your research with you, we'll give you like all these benefits, you know? And so you can make the decision to sell out to the corporations for benefits as well, too, which is like a really interesting take that like they're not actually a part of it, but they still influence the politics of it. Yeah, that is interesting and in how they're sort of like outside players in politics and, and how they sort of influence a lot of... uh different worldwide uh, players in, in their sort of technological innovations. Exactly. Like at one point, uh, like the triads came to me and they were <laughs> like, yo, uh, the Chinese government keeps killing us. So if you can fuck with the government, like we'll give you a bunch of resources in response. Did you do it? So like you, oh yeah, I sent drones to sabotage. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so it's great. Like, there's all these little things. But then, like, uh, another mission later, they were like, okay, now we need you to, like, kill one of their agents. And I was like, ooh, I don't know about that. And then the Chinese government, like, messages me, too. And they're like, yo, we noticed you're in super deep with the triads. <laughs> we'll give you an out and we'll forgive you. You just have to, like, bomb their city for oh, us. Oh, so it's literally asking you to, like, pull the switch of, like, do you kill the one person or do you kill a whole bunch of people? <laughs> yeah so like it, it it's really cool in this sort of like way it develops these like interactions and the political play and and the way like it, it's not just about the information and the goal of it it's sort of like well also 
are the people also doing the research kind of nefarious? Do we actually want them to have the technology and stuff? This sounds like a... So I... I was just going to say, this sounds like a very, fairly nuanced take on ethics. Is is that correct? I, I think so. I think it's uh it's very easy to, like, lose the sort of ethics of it. But it very much, I think it's a very nuanced look at, like, the ethic, especially ethics in regards to politics. When, like, you are making decisions that affect, like, millions of people. Hmm. So I, I, I definitely think there's something to be learned about the sort of ethics of it. I Like, most of my runs, I was trying to do, like, purely pacifist runs. Do you think that it's possible? It's, it's... Oh, abs- I, I think it is. I think it puts you at a severe disadvantage, though. Hmm. Um, with the pacifist runs, it, it feels like it becomes more about convincing people to become double agents. <laughs> and, and, like, monitoring your progress through there. Versus, like, the active, like, aggressive route is to arm your people with guns and make people defect. But as you make them defect, you have to, like, fight your way through the government and out of their country. Gotcha. Okay, that sounds pretty rad. I don't know why, it just kind of reminded me of, like, back when I was in elementary school, there was, like, a boy versus girl war. And, like, uh, I don't remember why, but I just remember I joined both. And, like, I was a, I was basically just, like, a double agent for both teams. And so I would, like, sit with the girls Hell and, like, yeah. hang out with them. And then I would, like, dig trenches with the boys. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I would just, like, hang out with both of them because I didn't really care. Uh... That's so <laughs> I don't know why it reminded me of that, but I just felt like I needed to share that. I love that. That's so... Look at you and your performative wokeness even as a child. I mean, ba- <laughs> Like, fuck these gender norms. I mean, back then I was just, like, a boys club, girls club. I want to be in... I want to be in that. Why not both? Why not both? I just want friends. I want friends. Yeah. yeah. And, and at, at the end of the day, uh, I, I caused uh, a friendship between the, the two different teams ra- rather than giving them both sticks and guns and making them kill each other on the elementary school battlefield. See, that's the way to do it. All the bridges can be solved by working together and having a double agent. Yeah, double agent to the key to success, everybody. Make sure you uh, remember that when you go into politics. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what Smile less, talk less, smile more? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the famous quote from that movie that everyone likes. Uh, what, what, what's the one quote? Uh, was it a Joker quote? Uh, ha 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 ha, do you know how I got these scars? Ha 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 Yeah, that's the one, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this game. Uh, the Steam reviews led me to believe that a lot of people didn't because it's very... Apparently, the RNG is very bad. Uh, I, I never really felt screwed over by it, but I could definitely see how people could get screwed over by it. I I was playing less to, like, play the game and more to, like, sort of enjoy these themes about espionage and stuff. So I I enjoyed it for that sense. I think it's a nice game to kind of, like, unwind and pull your thought to, like, a central objective of how, like, how are you just going to get this information and share it. And I, I think I think it's fun. I think RNG issues aside, it, it talks a lot about some pertinent issues that, like, it's cool. Seems like a really cool vessel for all of this uh, kind of thought and uh, intrigue. Exactly. Well, you know what else are some really cool vessels here? All of our neat little extras we have on on store for us because we are done with our meaty part of our podcast. We are done with the main games, I'm afraid. That's it. No more. No more of them. No more ever. That's it. All gone. We depleted. Depleted all the resources. 
We 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 got all the oil out of the ocean. We we used up all the water. They're all gone. But but we do have some extras left. We got some. We we got some. We got something burning the tank still. Three little snacks hidden amongst them. Yeah. So the first one here is Pop Up Dungeon. This is the demo for it. It's developed by Triple B Titles, who appear to be a group of family developers who are responsible for Ring Runner, Flight of the Sages, and its companion novel. And a free game called Dungeons and Deuces, which is a card-based D&D rule set that uh, if you wanted to try out, it's completely free to try. Uh, This game was published by Humble Games, or it will be, and it has a style that is all based around physical handcrafted things that look like it could exist in the real world, such as like a coin machine and a trinket stash. Uh, that are where you get all of the uh, upgrades that you use for different characters. It all looks like they're real antiques that you're, like, putting coins into and then twisting the machine. In that sense, like, it honestly gave me, like, an American Pickers vibe of just being excited to see, like, what new thing I come across next. Like, a little physical object that you get to, like, kind of hold or touch. I don't know, there's something cool about, like, that aesthetic that I, I really dig. Um, And the idea is... Uh, it's like a D&D sort of game where you get to make adventure paths, which take you down a pre-made adventure with multiple different uh, possible endings and paths and chances for your character to excel in their own ways using D20 rolls. Uh, so they're pre-built. There's only one uh, pre-built into the tutorial, or sorry, only one built into the demo with a tutorial added in to the demo in addition. Uh Basically, you choose your three party characters at the very beginning, with the one main party adventure being the one who does all the roles with the two extras. Uh, and then the combat sort of plays out similar to Final Fantasy Tactics, or honestly, just like D&D. I think that D&D is like, you know, honestly a lot closer to Final Fantasy Tactics than you might expect. Uh, characters are made in the in-game editor and then shared via the workshop, so you can upload your own files, text, and program your own adventures as well. Uh, that seems to be, like, a major feature of this, so it seems like there will be, like, endless content for people that really enjoy this game to keep trying it out and making new stuff and uh, playing new adventures. And for that reason alone, I'm actually really excited about this game. Uh, I think that this game has a ton of potential. Uh, I love the aesthetic and the visual style of it. It's unlike any other game that I've really played before, uh, which is a huge achievement, I'd say. Uh, especially just for like a three-person family development team. Like, congratulations. This is such a beautiful little game here, and I'm so excited to see what people end up making with it. Uh, but yeah, that is that is the first extra. Highly recommended. For pop-up dungeon demo, please go try it. The next one here... Uh, is called Grotto. Grotto is developed by Brainwash Gang, who also developed a game called Non-Guns, which uh, they're remaking, I think, uh, with a whole bunch of improvements because it had not great reviews on Steam, but it seems like the updated version has fixed a lot of the problems that they had with the first release. And they're also going to be releasing a game soon called Damnview, Built from Nothing, which seems right up our alley, honest to God. It is... I'm so excited for this game. Yeah, it's like a surviving the uh, capitalist world as a furry kind of type game, I guess. I don't know. It, it looks really cool. I don't know. The, the trailer for it is super dope, and we are both sold on it, and we're going to be following the development uh, of this one as it comes out. But 
the game that they made for the bundle here is a humble original, and it is just a short, neat game about being a star interpreting shaman for a village of anthropomorphic tribes people. Uh, you guide the town by using the constellations uh, to find meaning in the stars. So you start out uh, only with two different sort of blueprints for the stars uh, of meaning, and uh, you just sort of randomly experiment drawing random patterns in the stars, trying to create new constellations. And um, I wasn't able to get every single one of them, so I think there were two that I, I missed in both of my playthroughs. I wasn't able to quite figure out the correct pattern in order to fig uh, summon them. But uh, it's a really interesting game about, you know, someone comes to you and asks you for advice, and then you have to give them a constellation in response. So, you know, someone comes to you and then, then they're like, uh, hey, should uh, I trust the foreigners who are coming into our land and taking things? And, uh, you know, you can tell them basically whatever you want, but it has to be told through one of the constellations. You have to think about the different meanings of the different constellations. Like, okay, if I give them uh, something that means fertility, then that means that they'll be really excited and they'll probably go forward with this. But if you give it to them or or give them like the mother, then they might think something else, something a little bit different. Or uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it's hard to really explain. It's astrology. The it game. literally is. It, it's it's like uh, literally yeah, like the, the it's sense. literally like playing as the zodiac sign interpreter, but for like a group of people that actually genuinely need it. And like uh, I played this game two times and both times ended with the village chief coming to me bloodied and uh in despair because the foreigners came and basically took all their stuff um i couldn't quite figure out how to lead them to victory i'm sure that there is a way and i'm not sure what the correct choices are at any given point in time uh which i think kind of <laughs> made me think about like the history of oracles and what it probably meant to be an oracle in society and like Maybe you don't know 100% of what you're saying is true, but you're just trying to lead people the best that you can, like, using some kind of divination from the gods that, that you can try to sort of parse through, and maybe you believe it yourself, maybe you don't. M maybe you're just saying it to give people power or to give people sort of a sense of security, you know, because sometimes people come to you and they almost use you, you know. They they ask you, like, hey, can I be the leader of the village? Is, is that okay? Uh, I'm asking the gods, is that cool? And, you know, you, you can just say, yeah, sure, why not? Or, or like, maybe no, and then they'll get upset about it. But it's just interesting having to think about the implications of, of all those different actions. And, and uh, yeah, I'd say that this is really highly recommended. Uh, I just wish that finding all the different combinations in the constellations and stars wasn't so hard. I, again, I only found two of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that there, Two of them were like, two that I didn't find. Blech. Words are hard right now this time of night. But yeah, Grotto, please play it. Uh, the developer, I fucking love them, and I'm following them now, uh, so you should check them out, too. Uh, the third extra here is actually one that I'm going to send off to my buddy here. I'm getting tired of talking, and hey... That's fair, that's fair. Gotta keep that vocal cord loose. I hear you, man. Uh, this will be your first extra. What do you know? This is my first extra I'm talking about, because normally I pawn them off on day. <laughs> <laughs> and by pawn them off, I usually just get them done right away, let him know, and then he just kind of puts them on the back burner. And then I'm just like, oh, okay, that's already taken care of. No one has to worry yeah. about it. Uh, <laughs> this was last month's bundle gift that you got if you stayed subscribed. And it's called Boundless. Uh, it's from Wonderstruck Studios. They made the marvelous mistake. Uh, and this is just Minecraft, but, like, 
if you downloaded all the mods that made Minecraft easier, basically. <laughs> yeah, all like the automation mods and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. It, it it's uh my my sister played it with us, and that was immediately what she described it as. Is she was like, "Wow, this is all the quality of life mods that I normally download for Minecraft just built into the game." Hmm. And I, I think that's exactly what it does. It takes like all these aspects from Minecraft clones and just mashes them together, sort of carelessly, I'd say, but it does it. And I really enjoyed it. There's sort of like character specializations and this idea of like traveling to other worlds and everything is user built. It's like it's an MMO really is what it yeah, is. And that's what interested me the most about it, I'd say, as a counterpoint to Minecraft, whereas Minecraft is a game about exploring your own randomly generated world. Boundless is about exploring a game, I mean, actually within bounds. Uh, you know, like there, <laughs> there are certain planets that like each server is sort of set on and you can travel between the different planets on the different servers using portals. And, uh, I, you know, we got lost at one point just through the, the system of portals that we found floating up in the sky because it was all user built and user made. And it was all like alarming and scary, but cool and fascinating to run into things that people have already made. Yeah, people just, like, they built giant complexes of, like, systems of travel to every planet and markets so you can sell goods and buy them and stuff. And, like, they, they literally built, like, functioning societies in the air on these planets. And it's it's so cool to see. I was, like, awestruck, and it took us, like, hours to explore, like, the first city we ran into, and we just kind of gave up and died and then dug a hole in the ground and started building. I mean, honest to God, there's sort of, like, something to be said about, like, <laughs> about, about about like what people what would players do when they're just given free reign over a planet like it was kind of dystopian honestly the city that we ran into because like we couldn't escape it after we already got up there it was just so large and so vast that we couldn't figure out a way to leave so we just had to basically like kill ourselves and then spawn back in <laughs> our own home um but also, like, it was yeah, it... thousands of feet into the air and completely shrouded an entire mass continent in darkness. And, like, just thinking about, like, the being the person who has never been to the top, just looking up and being like, oh, there's a whole, like, gentrified area up there that, like, has been... And it, it really like... is. It's, like, it's straight up, like, this fucking consumerist hell, too, that they built in there. It's like, like a strip like, mall! There were plots of... It was, and you'd, like, rent plots of lands from the guy who owned it all to, like, put up your shop and sell your goods and stuff. It seemed like people were putting it... actual advertisements in there, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah, there were, like, links to websites and stuff from, like, these zone names and things. It was wild. It felt like this weird, like, consumerist hell that everyone was just like, we're building this in the sky now because that's what we do. Kind of like Yuppie Psycho, but unintentional. Exactly. It's so weird that, like, when left to our own devices, this is what we're going to create. Like, what the hell? Man, I don't even know. Um, but it was fun. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I spent a lot of time on it. And there's a lot that you don't learn off the bat, like the systems of travel, the locations of stuff, the crafting, all that jazz. Um, but unlike Minecraft and what I kind of like what I felt I enjoyed about it more is that, like, everything you needed was self-contained in the game. There were, like, books you could go through to find information for 
how to craft something or you could find information about like how much iron spawns on this planet do i need to go to another planet things like it's that a big so. weakness of minecraft is that you 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 at least for a long time had to have a, a wiki page open while playing the game in order to understand it and interpret it which i mean in some ways kind of adds to the sort of allure of it making it feel secret like you have to learn its ins and outs but at mm -hmm. the same time... But it's also nice having some structure. Yeah, it's nice having the structure and the uh, sort of gating of, of different items and progression. The, the, the And the quests. I really love the quests because if you ever, like, struggle with what to do in these kinds of games, there was always, like, let me open the quest log and figure out what I can do. Yeah, there was always something to do, and I did enjoy that about the game. I, I put three hours into mm -hmm. it with my buddy here. We were making our own little socialist underground hovel. It was fun. I, I might revisit it. It'd be fun if we could get a couple of people to play that game with us just to see what kind of cool uh, creation we as a community could build. Yeah, if anyone on the community has it or downloads it, let us know and we'll hit you up and we'll all play together because it's, it's fun and I think we could do a lot of really cool things. Absolutely. Now, speaking of the community, I think we're, are we done with that segment? I'm going to call it good? Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So now it's time for the closing segment. Uh, where we're just going to start by announcing which game we thought was the best in the bundle. I think you know what yours is. I, I, I mean, I want to say Yuppie Psycho because that game is like everything I live for, but I know you're also going to tell me to pick one that I played, and it's going to be Void. Yeah, so I'll don't worry. I'll go ahead and take the, the strain off your shoulders <laughs> and go ahead and pick Yuppie Psycho myself because that is everything that I stand for as well and live for. Uh, and Baroque Decay... Uh, if you're listening, and if you ever hear this, please let me know uh, if you need any more beta testers for the DLC of Yuppie Psycho. I will absolutely, without a doubt, play through all of it the second that you drop it on me. I will. I loved that game. It was great. Uh... <laughs> yeah. And if you want to do an episode where we dissect the surrealist fucking representation of corporate hell inside of your game, like, let us know. Oh my god, please. Because, like, some of these movies that, like, are referenced in the game that sort of actually have, like, physical sort of manifestations, like, the idea of, like, a heavily bandaged person that, like, you can't see their face anymore, that was uh from, like, a video from, like, 2011 called Chrysalis. And, and so, like, oh, it seems like these ideas have been bubbling around in his head for a while now. Yeah. So... I I I love the culmination of what he brought out into the world, and I am a huge fan. And I hope I'm probably gonna go play his other game now too. Uh, now that I, I'm a fan of his in general, uh, we also have been playing some games other than just our bundle games recently. That's true. Uh, we've been playing a lot of GTFO still because, like, that game is incredible. If you haven't played it yet, please try it out. It's so much fun. Yeah, the new rundown has been giving us some trouble. We finally got to uh, the new enemy that was teased uh, in the new rundown. The developers were like, we recorded our, our children for this one. Better be excited. And so we were all terrified thinking about what it could be. And then we got to it, and it was way worse than we could have imagined. Uh... <laughs> yeah, way worse. So, I don't... Should we spoil it? Uh, you know, I I don't think so. We'll just we'll just hit on our other games. And All right, we're we're sitting on like two hours already. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but just babies. That's all. That's all I gotta say about that. Uh, yeah. Call of Duty is a game that I have been continuing to play. I got the battle pass for the first time in anything ever, and I'm just going through the trials and tribulations of that as a thing. Uh, 
and Devolverland Expo came out. Did you, I told you about this? Yeah. This game was really weird. It was a marketing simulator where you walk through the halls of the abandoned E3 building. So it's the only time I've ever and probably will ever be able to visit E3 uh, in any kind of physical representation. Uh, it was all Devolver-themed, so a bunch of Devolver games and stuff like that. It has this really fun aesthetic where they are like sort of antagonistic towards you, and it makes it seem like you're exploring in a place where you're not welcome, which 100% maybe you want to explore more. Uh... <laughs> They mainly just have, like, trailers and stuff for the game. There's, like, a little stealth segment at the beginning and a couple of puzzles, but otherwise it's really short and sweet, and uh, it's mainly used, you know, just for marketing. I mean, all the games that they were marketing, though, look really dope, actually, and I'm excited for basically all of them, but I'm excited for a lot of what Devolver does. So that's not really saying much. And finally, uh, I'm finishing Phoenix Wright Spirit of Justice, which I mentioned this forever ago. I played like all of the first couple of cases and now i'm finally playing through the last couple uh this one's really interesting and got me hooked because it's the very first and only civil case in the series uh where it starts out uh with two defense attorneys going against each other in fact it's apollo justice versus phoenix right where you're playing as apollo and so you're, you're literally going against the main protagonist of the series in this case and it is one of the most interesting trials i've, I've played in the game so far so i've really been enjoying it uh yeah you know, next up, we got questions. So last week's question was, what game upgrade would you want to use in the real world? Some common themes that we heard from a lot of different people were things to do with teleportation and portals, really anything to do with, like, any kind of, uh, <laughs> what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, fast travel? Fast travel or any kind of transit. Yeah. Transit, so anything to make people go fast and, and get rid of that part of their day. Time manipulation, such as rewind mechanics and checkpoints. Gravity manipulation. Hammer space, such as like bag of holding and stuff like that. And cybernetic enhancements. Apparently, no one learned from Deus Ex. Uh, <laughs> we actually have a couple responses recorded this time I'm going to read out. There were some pretty good ones. My Dead Parrot said, The question is pretty hard considering most tools and video game character toolkits are wielded by an OP, not regular human character. And 100%, that was what I had to say about like a lot of these that people gave me. That was like, uh, I want to use uh, the Hidden Blade from the Assassin's Creed game because it's cool. <laughs> and it's like, really? It's also for like a super cool badass assassin. Are you going to use that to like slice bread? What? You know? <laughs> but uh, there's also the glue cannon from Prey. That was by uh, TedTN72. Uh, we have... Fixing leaks instantly, making makeshift ladders. Also, uh, Lemon, Lemon Ify J, they also said the glued cannon. The bionic legs from Portal was uh, suggested by two people, Noise Storm 22 and Lichany. And I thought that was a really good one because everybody always thinks about the Portal gun first, but you would never be able to yeah. use the Portal gun unless you didn't have first the bionic the legs. legs. Yeah. And if you had the bionic legs, well, then you could just jump off of anything. That sounds cool. I love that. <laughs> Uh, the gardening tools from Stardew Valley. I love that. Just because real gardening sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Borderlands 2 catch a ride system, pretty much in, uh, industrial replicator from Star Trek. That was from Random New Guy. Uh, I thought that was an interesting one. That would, like, revolutionize transit. Uh, yeah. a repair toolkit from Far Cry 3 would come in handy, given how regularly my bike breaks down. I just think it's interesting, like, how... 
we think of these like magical solve all toolkits, but like you know in real life they're just like you know a couple of fucking hammers that you have to fucking figure out yourself what to do with. That's, we, we don't... Like the toolkit sort of devoids us of the knowledge that we actually have to need to fix the Correct. problem. Correct. It abstracts us from the actual like me- mechanical use of the things inside the toolkit. We just see the toolkit as like a magical object, almost un- indistinguishable from a real life magic object. Like, mm-hmm. like you, you you use it and then it just fixes things. And, and then the final one here that was my favorite was from uh, Karatagal. I'd want a rocket launcher so I can travel places quickly. Practical. <laughs> practical. Which I love so much. Practical and explosive. I love it. Uh, <laughs> which, like, not, 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 not to, like, explode things, not to, like, cause damage to anybody, but just for travel purposes, I'd like a rocket launcher. Uh, just aim it at my feet and shoot it myself into the sky. Yeah, yeah. Just always been my dream. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh those were last week's responses i hope that you guys enjoyed that those are by the way from our reddit giveaways that we do uh on a couple different uh subreddits but we've been kind of fluctuating we might open up our own subreddit at some point who knows who knows so uh what's the question for next week huh uh the question for next week is if you could escape to a virtual world which would you want to go to and why hmm. There are some obvious answers. I feel like like Pokemon is one, mm-hmm. but Pokemon would be great. I, I like some deep cuts here. So I'd like some really interesting cuts. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you? I, I don't know what mine would be. Did you also have an answer for the last week's one? I think I remembered you. Oh yeah. Uh, saying... uh, I was supposed. Yes, I said I would answer that this yeah. week. Um, you know, it's really hard, and I. <sighs> I'm gonna go with. Uh, I I know what I want. I know what I want. I just have to make sure that I have the right name for it. Uh, I would go with Azura's Star from Skyrim. Oh, tell me more. Uh, well, it's the Daedric artifact of the Daedric Prince Azura. Ooh. It's it's the Soul Gem in which you can encapture souls for enchanting and recharging things. Well, that sounds delightful. Why would you not want that? <laughs> capture your enemies, capture your friends. Yes, exactly. The... I, I don't know why I would take that. I think it'd be, like, just a cool object, like, you know? <laughs> just a weird thing that, like, exists outside of our realm of, like, normal operations. So I think it'd just be, like, fucking weird and cool. Give it to a scientist. Have him figure out what the fuck's going on with it. Mm-hmm. And you can, like, that's the best part about Azura Star is that, like, you can continue to trap souls in it. It's not one-time use. Oh, really? So you can actually trap as many souls as you want in that one? Yeah, that was the whole point oh, of it. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense now. So, uh, actually, mm-hmm. that sounds terrifying what you proposed to me. Uh, if you went to a graveyard and just kind of took all of the souls and then hoarded them, I could, Im- I, I imagine you would just amass, like, a, 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 a immeasurable power. Exactly. Either that or the Jabberwack. <laughs> that's actually i think a better item you know, you know what? what actually i think i'm changing mine to that we're going with I that i think that if you're going to have a, an element of chaos in your answer then i think that there's nothing better than the element of chaos itself the jabberwock the, the jabberwock let's get All it right. that's my answer the jabberwock so uh what's the charity this time uh the charity for this month is 
Covenant House, and it's a great little charity that provides shelter for homeless youth from, like, juveniles who are being released from justice facilities to, like, people who have aged out of foster care to runaways or trafficked youth that no longer have, like, homes to go to. So their whole shtick is, like, providing kids with homes so that they can actually get an education and, you know, make their way in society rather than just, like, being abandoned from childhood bomb dog good that we don't all get abandoned in childhood we gotta fucking fix that yeah (laughs) gotta fix it give houses to the youth we also got some what are we looking out for we got some games to look out for on the unreal store we got torchlight 2 next up we got uh next up hero in tacoma that'll be next week that'll be available in the epic game store and still for free in the epic game store is sludge life from Devolver Digital and Dolores, a Thimbleweed Park. Uh, we also have a GameSpot article with a bunch more free-to-play games or free-to-own games that you shouldn't miss. Uh, it's constantly updated with more games, and we'll make sure to put that in our description. Yeah, yeah. I, That's I it. Like, we made it through. Yeah, I feel kind of. I think we're good. Kind of about this one. I don't think we missed anything. I don't think we missed anything at all. Subscribe, join the Discord. We're streaming every Tuesday and Friday oh around 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, oh god, uh, if you tweet a link to this episode, you'll you'll be entered for a chance to win one of our games from the month. Our extras that we yeah. have. Oh, oh shit! God. Did you, oh, did, really did you say the Discord? Did you say the Discord? Uh, we have a Discord. It's linked in the comments. We also have a Patreon. If you want to donate money to us, we'll we'll give you uh, more content because uh, we we appreciate everything you do for us. Uh, god, I knew that there was something uh, we missed. So thankful. Damn. So close. We'll get it right one of these times. Also, did I feed my Tamagotchi? Fuck!